Hello. Hey, this is Chet. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. This will be episode 123, I believe. I have interviewed artist Chris Bolton from Perth, Australia. Well, he's a uh, really cool guy and I love his artwork and I love his zombies. He has a lot of cool zombies. Anyway, we had a, a really fun conversation. So, oh man, I got to turn this browser off. It's dinging in my ear. Uh, okay. Anyway, so yeah. Um, welcome to the show. Uh, what was I going to talk about today in the beginning? Um, I'm blanking out. More coffee. I got some iced coffee here. Um, you know, one thing I did want to talk about before we get to the five questions and the new subscribers and the interview is, you know, I was thinking about it, the pol political turmoil today and the uh, chaos that seems to be happening particularly in America, but really it's happening all over the world. Um, you know what it feels like to me? I don't know if you've ever had an ego death experience. Um, an ego death experience is generally, not exclusively, but generally a psychedelic experience. You start to trip. It's really the goal of the psychedelic experience if you're doing it right. You trip. The trip gets really scary. You think you're going to die. And you either succumb to it and relax and let it happen, at which uh, point you have what's called an ego death where you, where, where you basically cross this threshold. And once you get past this threshold, you're like, oh, there's nothing to worry about. And, and you kind of lose your your ego for a moment or for a short period of time, which basically means your sense of identity your everything you think you know about yourself is stripped away and you're just left with your pure consciousness, which is the real you. And then you realize there was nothing to be afraid of. There's, you know, there's no death really. There's no problem. Uh, the alternative is you, you hang on and you continue to freak out and you have a terrible trip until it's over and you don't let yourself cross over that threshold. And I feel kind of like, you know, I'm an American, so I'm taking this from an American point of view. I see it in my country specifically, but I think it's happening everywhere really. But I think this political turmoil is kind of like a, we're on the precipice of an ego death experience collectively. You know, it's like things are getting weird. Everything's getting crazy. All of the subconscious um, racism and nationalism, hatred is, is coming to the surface and showing itself in ugly ways. And so I think that if, if we can just kind of relax and go with it and have this um, attitude of, Everything's going to be fine, you know? 
do your part in whatever way you see fit, but ultimately you're not in control and no one's in control and everything is going to go the way it's going to go. And with that attitude, we will cross that threshold um, collectively. And I think the other side of this is a kind of enlightenment. I really think that the psychedelic experience is kind of a, a, a metaphor for life. So while, you know, I, I don't know if that made as much sense as it did today while I was meditating, it really made a lot of sense. And I, and I intuitive, intuitively kind of think that's what's going on. But <clears throat> for a lot of other reasons that I'm probably not explaining very well. But I just think if we can, you know, relax. That goes the dogs. Relax and kind of uh, know that everything's okay, ultimately. Accept, embrace the chaos. And don't fight it. It will transform into something better that was probably a terrible explanation and if anyone's interested maybe i'll try uh, try doing a better job of it some other time uh basically i guess i'm saying don't worry that's my thought okay let's get on with the five now, let's get on with the, the Patreon subscribers. The new Patreon subscribers, the people that are making this podcast happen, are the Patreon subscribers. Um, you can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. Although, you know, I just found out that um, I read some article that said a dollar, if people pay a dollar, you're barely making any money because of the credit card processing fees. So you should try and start your lowest tier at two dollars but you know i like being able to say a dollar a month because i mean most people can afford a dollar a month and, and if you get enough one dollar a month pledges i suppose i don't know how that works though it's they're, they're saying that the credit card processing fees make it i don't know if it's on a on a, on a large level if you have a bunch of one dollar patrons that it uh doesn't quite equal much but i don't know you can join for any amount any amount you want to pay anyway that's a uh, patreon.com slash dark art society and it is supporting this podcast i wouldn't be able to do the podcast without the support of you so let's see who the new pledges are all right i think i left off with ramon Iquire. Iquire. Uh, oh, I got a deletion here. People, you know, people, their financial circumstances change and they have to delete pledges and then they come back. So it's all good. Okay. We've got one. Oh, I shouldn't say how much. Uh, Martin Woodhead, Ken Rains, which is Kenny Rains. I know Kenny Rains. What's up, Kenny Rains? Uh, let's see. And Joanna Barnum. 
Thank you so much for subscribing and supporting this podcast. I really appreciate it. And the whole community, uh, community appreciates it and appreciates you. Okay, let's get on to the five questions here. <laughs> I had to solicit some more questions because I'm, I ran out and I just got some fresh ones. So let's start off with Joey Edwards. Um, I want to knock these off because these are from the last time I asked. Would you consider having a Patreon tier either on your own personal page or dark or the Dark Art Society that offers personal portfolio evaluation, like an honest review of a member's current portfolio art resume and offer advice for direction or next steps? I already have that actually on my personal Patreon, which is patreon.com slash chetzar, and that is at the hundred dollar level. It's uh, at least an hour of advice, uh, a portfolio review areas. If you're an artist areas where I think you need to, um, work on and, you know, just advice. Basically it's been really amazing too. It's been so rewarding for me, more reward, rewarding than I thought it would be. I'm It's just seeing people, people, uh, progress with their art has been so amazing and making friends through it. It's really been cool. So I am doing that already. Uh, let's see. You have said, this is Joey Edwards still. You have said many times that each year you raise the price value of your work. Do you do that for just newly created pieces? or for older inventory that did not sell yet as well. If you have old inventory that was priced too high, is it okay to lower the price? Uh, uh, that's a good question, actually, because I, I try to raise the value, like the price every year of all paintings of a certain size. You know, it's kind of based on size. So even the old ones, I'll raise the price on. If I, that's the the whole idea is that you're raising the value of the work, and you are rewarding the collectors in that way, so that their what they have purchased in the past from you is also gaining in value because you can't get it for, you know, the low price that you originally paid for it because the prices have gone up, you know, and you're getting your a reward by being able to charge more for it and uh it's just kind of the way it works but um let's see if you have old inventory that was priced too high is it okay to lower the price it's really not okay to lower the price that's why you shouldn't raise your prices too high too early on because i've said this before as well in case you haven't heard it uh, essentially you are if you have an old if you have an 11 by 14 painting let's say and you priced it at a thousand dollars, and but in the past, and then you have a bunch of eleven by fourteen paintings that you are currently selling, new paintings, and they are going for uh, seven fifty. Say that wouldn't really. Uh, that's kind of screws up your whole market because collectors need to see a a um, cohesive price range and you know if you if if you have 
come out with a new level of prices and it's selling and you have priced some stuff in the past at a higher price than that, maybe, you know, a few years back and those didn't catch on and you didn't sell any, especially then I would say, yeah, lower the price. They should all be the same price. But, um, if you come out and you have all of your prices at a certain price point, and then you come out, you create new work and you lower the price. I mean, it's, you know, if people bought at the, at the higher price, when you come out with the lower price, you've just, um, lower the value of the piece they bought originally from you. So that's why it's bad. You know, they say you can always raise your prices, but you can never lower them. So that's why I suggest starting. If you're going to err one way or the other, I suggest starting, um, lower rather start low than too high. Now that's kind of controversial. Some people think the opposite's true, but that's the way I did it. Now, the downside of starting low is that you can't raise your prices too fast. And I've, I'm at a point where personally with my artwork that I don't feel like my art is selling for what it, it should be, but it's, you know, I'm not going to blow up the prices in a crazy way. I'm, I'm just taking the time and raising them every year, but that's because I started kind of low. And then during the recession, I didn't raise my prices at all. Like during what was it, two thousand seven to, I don't know. It was like a couple year period there, three years or something, where I was just happy to be selling my work, and so I didn't raise prices because the economy was so bad. So that means I lost a few years. Like if if I'd say, let me see, probably my stuff would probably be a thousand dollars more now if I had raised prices during that period, or maybe maybe more. Anyway, that's my thought on that. Okay, so that was one, two. Uh, okay. Would you be open to adding some sort of suggestion box to either the Future Dark Art Society site or somehow on the Facebook page? For example, I think that it would be a great idea for the Dark Art Society Instagram page to share more community work, such as feature weekly posts that correspond with member member of the week callouts the more we blow each, blow each other up the better yes i agree uh this will be something that will happen through the dark art society website which is pretty much done i think but uh yeah i would say that would be you know there's probably i'm sure there's there's e going to be an email where you can make suggestions. Um, yeah. Okay. There's that. Okay. That was three. So let's see. It's a good one. Now I got to find this one. So it was a good one about Devo. I wanted to answer. Um, mm -hmm, sorry. Okay. Jimmy Cantu. How different would your life be? If Devo didn't exist, I love this question because Devo is so fucking great and so influ influential in my life. Uh, you know, I don't know how different my life would be, but I'll tell you that, you know, during my formative years, I remember making Super 8 movies that were directly inspired by their videos, 
that they used to make. They were video pioneers. Uh, I'm talking like the 70s. They used to make movies. And, um, you know, I, the, 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 uh, the aesthetic, the Devo aesthetic. And I'm talking about the early stuff too, which is really the heart of Devo, I think, is their earlier work. It's really dark, very dark and very weird, and that, and, and also very funny. So, um, I would say I probably wouldn't have, I, I definitely would have changed the way I viewed monsters. You know, it gave me kind of a, a appreciate more of an appreciation for the surreal and the kind of intellectual um, ideas. They were like a, a really smart band too. So, and there's that kind of sci science fiction angle. Anyway, my life wouldn't be as good without Devo. I'm going on record with that. Okay, uh, last one. Then we can get on with the interview. Uh, okay, looking through some. These are new ones, so I didn't uh, search them out beforehand. This is a good one. Okay, Christian Perez. How do you feel after finishing a painting or a big project, like a series or, a sh or an art show you put together? Do you feel a sense of accomplishment? Or has it become so routine that it's hard to step back and enjoy? I struggle with holding on to the feeling of satisfaction. I wonder if most creatives feel the same. Okay, yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I feel a sense of accomplishment, but it's not the one that I would have expected before I had. I'm going to go from the angle of painting a solo show. I do feel a, a sense of. Uh, satisfaction and a sense of relief usually because I'm usually so under the gun to get it done because you know I'm always complaining about how hard it is to do all this shit so you know the the sense of accomplishment for me comes at the moment I finish the painting you know and it's good that's that's the buzz I'm going for and the show after is is kind of icing on the cake. It's it's uh it's great. It's great to share your work and see people enjoying it. And especially if they really like it, it's very rewarding, but for me it's all about making the stuff in the first place. That's where I get my big satisfaction is creating a great painting and then paint painting it, coming up with the idea, painting it and then finishing it. That's just it for me. Uh so Often, especially after like this last show, it was, you know, I usually push myself so hard towards the end that I crash and burn when everything's done and I let myself sleep and my schedule's all fucked up and I'm staying up late and sleeping in and I get depressed and I watch TV to try and recover and I just kind of sit there and I feel like a bum and, um, then I, then I just get over it. Cause usually it's exhaustion. Like I get in a really, when I get too tired, I get in a, I get depressed really. I get in a, in a kind of a dark frame of mind. And, um, so I just have to let myself rest and know that, you know, oh yeah, this is that part of the process where I feel like shit and 
when I get some rest and get back in the swing of a, of a normal life, a, no, a normal schedule that I start to feel better. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good answer to that question. It's not so, you know, the, the, the question you pose is it, has it become so routine that it's hard to step back and enjoy? It's, it is hard to step back and enjoy, but it's not because of the routineness of it. It's because, like I said, I, the, the, the joy I get is the, in the creating of the work. And, you know, by the time a show has happened, the paintings have been done for, you know, a few weeks or a month. And so, you know, they're kind of old news to me in a way. So, you know, if I, if I were to maybe, yeah, it's weird when you paint, when you're painting, creating artwork, it's so part of you and you're so involved in the creation of the thing, you know, every little mark and you kind of remember, you know, when you painted this part of the painting, you're so intimately connected with it that you can't view it the way other people can. You can't see it for the first time because you watched it go from nothing to something. So it's, it's weird. Um, I've, I felt this way about group shows, curating group, group shows as well, is that, you know, or solo shows for that matter. I can't, I can't enjoy the show like everybody else can. It's like you're kind of doing it for, for them. Of course, you're doing it to earn a living and this and that. But, you know, ultimately, you want, you're like the host of a party. And, you know, the host of a party isn't going to enjoy the party like the people at the party. The host is kind of working that night. So, yeah, that's how I feel. All right. Enough yakking. Let's get on with this Chris Bolton interview. Uh, really fun, really cool guy, great artist, and uh, things got kind of especially cool towards the end. I think we got into kind of impassioned conversation towards the end, but the whole interview is great, interesting, and I hope you like it. And thanks for listening. And here is the interview with Chris Bolton. What's up, Chris? Hey, Chad. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you. For coming thank on. you for inviting me. Oh yeah, I love your stuff. You, you, you. I, I, I especially love your zombies. I have to admit, you know, you know that I'm a huge zombie fan. I love all your work, but you do really get zombies. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got a little bit of symbiosis there. I think, yeah, yeah, the zombie thing. Just as. Uh, I don't know. I'd be, I, I got stuck into you know zombies because of Romero, same as you. Same so here, yep. That that's uh, and you know especially Night Living Dead. Yeah. Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Day of the Dead's one of my favorites too. Day of the, you know, but, Day of the uh, Dead is one that I remember when it came out. Like I was, I was, I saw Dawn of the the Dead in the theater yeah. in like '79. Uh, my dad was cool enough to take me. Um, he we used to go see horror movies every Friday night, so he was really cool about that. And, um, so I was a fan, uh, of actually, I, I used to watch night of the living dead on TV when I was like five years old, cause I used to play it on TV. But so basically I saw day of the dead in the theater. And I remember when it first came out, I was like kind of disappointed because Don is like the biggest, most epic zombie movie ever. But ha having watched it recently, actually, 
I really have become to love it. Like I do the other ones too. Day Day is great. Yeah. Oh, I, I just it's got a, the idea of a zombie trilogy as well. I mean, yeah. I know there's other ones, um, but yeah, that 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 set of three at the time uh, that was always my go-to. It was always the thing. It was like yeah. that was the pinnacle that you measured all other zombie <laughs> movies and products from. You're like. Oh, look, that, you know, if it's a game that's got, you know, a mall, it's like, well, they stole that from Dawn of the right. Dead. You know, or it's got an underground military base. It's they, they stole that from Day of the Dead. Yeah, you know, they're, yeah. they're not doing anything original. Right. And, I don't know, being obsessed with, you know, Fangoria magazine and seeing the images that were coming from, you know, Tom Savini and, mm-hmm. and all the people working on those types of movies, it was just, yeah, it was really polarizing. Um it got me right into the whole idea that these, these, that the zombies were us. Right. That yeah. we, we're consumers. So yeah. we consume kind of mindlessly chomping along. Yeah. It's, you know, they had, they had the commercialism set up. I mean, Romero was quite political yeah. in what he was talking about in the context of those films as well. And before, which, before that was kind of a cool thing too. I mean, we're talking like yeah. in the seventies before everyone kind of, uh, has that feeling now but back then it was pretty kind of revolutionary to put in a horror film like that oh, just and to have a film like night of living dead oh yeah where yeah pretty right. much every protagonist dies yeah right <laughs> <laughs> you know and then you've got the end bit and it's like oh no he's getting dragged out to a funeral yeah, pile and, and the bad this film's hideous and the, the, and the, the music p- at the end though right. when it's you know, yeah you're like oh my god this film was mind-blowing like i just saw something that you never saw. Yeah. You know, it was always that drive off into the distance or, right. you know, Dawn spoke, was supposed to have that alternate ending where she puts her head into the rotor blades right. and <laughs> Ken Forey blows his head off down in the bottom. And, you know, it's like, this is cool. Like all, he, all your characters die. Right. Yeah. That <laughs> was, was something that, George Romero was doing that before uh, Game of Thrones was doing it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's totally true. Like especially it's something with, that especially, again, people pick up on and they say that and it's like, right. This is what you've got to emulate. This is yeah. what you've got to have. You know, Walking Dead has it a bit because yep. you know, a lot of the characters you get, you know, you yep. meet them two episodes later that they're, they're shanked by a zombie. Yeah. Um, I love I, I I love that in night uh, the original night of Living Dead we're talking about of course but I also love that the the kind of bad guys save the day which is yeah the whole thing is like everything is flipped on its head like the the hero is a black guy in the late sixties which was super rare and uh, the 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 guys that kill him are like these rednecks these you know yeah. and they end up kind of saving the day it's 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 such a great film i mean that's it's it's regarded as a classic it really is a great film i, I watch it all the time <laughs> and you know that that's the thing it, uh, they're gateways to you know you find out about dario argento then right and then you find out about goblin and you're like well have they done anything else then suddenly you're at the video store going tenebrae okay suspiria right. okay you just start digging through all this stuff and it just it opens up a whole the floodgates open so mm-hmm. to speak yeah, and suddenly yeah. you're like enjoying all this stuff and being in australia where i'm from mm-hmm. perth western australia it was particularly hard to get some of this stuff because oh, it, really? it just wouldn't say releases here um or you'd wait many many years for it to arrive right and then you'd be down your video store going well i need to get this um so, yeah, it was a little bit difficult to 
keep up my enjoyment of that stuff while I'm in Australia because, yeah, you really had to search for it. Right. You really had to dig through bookstores for, you know, art books. Uh, you'd have to dig through the news agencies for the magazines or get a subscription to them. They never really stocked them, so they'd get them in for you right. especially. And then, like, you'd get it and it would feel like you're opening up some sort of pornographic magazine in a shrink wrap bag. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's got a picture of Freddy on the front or something. It was just like, what? Right. This is just Freddy Krueger. It's just makeup. They used to put some uh, – Fangoria used to put some really – I mean, and this is, like, before it was acceptable. I mean, now – you know, and now kind of anything goes, everything's so crazy now on the internet. There's, you know, there's not the kind of, I don't know, censorship, I guess there, there used to be, but man, they used to put like really bloody violent stuff on their covers before it was kind of okay to do that. I oh mean, yeah. You know? I mean, they had, you know, split heads. Yeah. have the, uh, I remember one of them, I think it was a Rob Boutin, Ronnie Cox head with the eyes bulging out right. from Total Recall. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'm in, I'm in like primary school when I started getting into this stuff. So that's probably like the eighties. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I'm actually turned 44 on Monday. So this is kind of like a cool birthday present too. (laughs) Happy birthday. Um, thank you. Um, so yeah. And I remember collecting cutouts from magazines. If there was a cutout of Freddy Krueger or something in there, I remember cutting that out of there. Um, and saving all that stuff and just relishing the fact that, yeah, you could see this stuff in a magazine or you mm-hmm. could see this stuff. It was really hard to find. It was really hard to find. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that, that made it more precious too in a way and, and you appreciated well, it more, I think. Again, yeah. I mean, that's as we were saying with the internet and social media the way it is now, the amount of stuff that you can just at a press of a button and have everything gore or, <laughs> yeah. and talents and you know, boobs and whatever else that uh, sates your desires, you can have that on a tap. And I think, yeah, maybe the next generation won't appreciate the sort of things that we all kind of appreciate and we don't take for granted. Right. You know, we do appreciate and look into it and go, why is that so polarizing? Why is that something that we want to look at? Right. You know, most people, it's icky, it's scary, it's, it's, you know, you must be evil if you like that no, no, yeah. we're not <laughs> That's I think <laughs> it's that, probably the complete opposite. Exactly. Yeah. That. Yeah. We talk about that. You know, as if you're you listen to the podcast, I think uh, we talk about that pretty often. How it's that's it's yeah. everything's uh, you know like Night of the Living Dead. Everything's kind of flipped on its head these days. So now the people you think were the bad guys are actually the good guys. The people that like the horror and the weird shit <laughs> with the long hair well, I mean, and tattoos and beards and. Yeah, I mean, but it's also like, you know, it's everything's coming back. You know, everything's, mm. everyone's kind of, I mean, what year is it? We're getting, you know, we've got the Lion King. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> we've got um, a new Ghostbusters coming out. Um, we've got a Toy Story on the on the screen. It's like, yeah, it's all this stuff that uh, was really good. They're like trying to rekindle that and catch lightning in a bottle. Um, right. <clears throat> Sometimes it works. Sometimes, most times, it doesn't. Yeah, right. Um, this reboot or remake or rejolt or whatever they want to call it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just I kind of wish that there was more, more people like that Night of Living Dead type aesthetic going on, where people are like, I want to do something that's really interesting that bucks the trend. 
Right. And, you know, something that's going to almost define its own genre. Right. Ultimately. Totally. Um, and yeah, not original. And not kind of New fall. Stuff. Yeah, and original and not fall into some sort of marginalized, commercialized. Yeah, I, I always think that, I, you know, it's not uh, commercially viable, I suppose, from a, from a production standpoint. But I always think the movies that should be re- remade are the ones that had a good idea but were badly done in the first place. Not movies hmm. that were classics because it's like they're, you know, it's already, it's already perfect. The classic is already perfect. The only reason they're redoing it is to make money, you know, and I get it. But, you know, there's certain movies. I God, there's a certain... There was one movie that I always w- would hold as an example of a movie that like had such a cool idea, but it was so badly done because it was underfunded. I can't think of it now, but there's a lot of like, especially genre movies and horror movies that they didn't have enough money to make them and, and at the time. And maybe the acting wasn't great. Oh, I know a good one. Children shouldn't play with dead things would be like, Oh yeah, it, it's great. It's a great movie for the, it's like a time capsule, but it's like super low budget. And that movie could be remade to be really, I don't know, realize its full potential. I think because it's, it's a cool, it's a cool movie. I love it as it is. But you could really make a great movie from that concept, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's again, it's it's it comes down to I think what what the the, the audience ends up wanting, but what the producers end up giving them is more of a like a facsimile or a kind of a copy yep. of this thing that kind of looks a little bit like it. Cause I don't. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I know you like this film, um, Adrian Lynch's uh, Jacob's Ladder. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I saw the trailer, yeah, was, and I have to say, I saw the I saw the new one. Yeah, the new thing, one. They've remade yeah. it, and I just kind of it's it, seemed, something that made me go, Yeah, no, Why? no please don't, please yeah. don't. You know, and then <laughs> and then perfect. It, they talk about you know, like like I love uh, Taika Waititi, the the director. I think he's he's good. But I don't want to see him do Akira. Right. Akira is good on its own. Exactly. It's, it's those it's our, things, yeah. just leave them alone. Exactly. You know, don't do Citizen Kane. Don't touch these good films. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> um, they're good for a reason. Yeah. They're already good because of the heart and the effort that went into them in the initial. So yeah. Yeah. To, to reboot, retry, it's kind of a little bit redundant. Yeah. And pointless. But I guess, you know, they, they want to make money. Yeah. And I understand. They want to make money. People want to go and see. Some people you know, like them too, uh, you know. Some people are into it. Oh, yeah. So. You know, like, I, I didn't mind the It movie. I that's true. Yeah, no, good, that, but that's, you know. The new one, you know, that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that's the, that's the rare. Uh, and, and, you know, the original TV movie was, you know, I, I really like actually the TV mini, miniseries, but it was lacking in a lot of ways. So that that's a good example of a movie that should, you know, maybe be remade with technology and stuff now that that was the one thing about that when i've watched that recently the the tv movie oh, the, mu- um, the music is so bad it's so cheesy yeah. it's like it's there's little thing but, production at the acting's great you know i thought the acting was really good but it has like a tv movie feel from that yeah era. like the, the, the kids are great the kids are awesome right right definitely but once it once it starts the adults they just didn't seem as invested 
or right. they're a little, maybe a little bit, uh, you know, in that, days of our lives casting type going on. And the way that they but, did all, yeah, and the way they did the the ending where it's really brightly lit in the cave just looked like TV. I movie didn't find the stop motion spider. I love stop motion, so yeah, I actually find cool. that anything that's got a bit of stop motion in it, I actually end up rating that movie. I'm like, well, you had stop motion in there, so I fucking <laughs> love you. <laughs> as soon as you put a little bit of janky stop motion in there, I'm suddenly like, this is a really good movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd love to do a stop motion movie. I, I, I like, you know. You know what? Let's before we get into this, I want to. Yeah, sorry, get, we're rambling already. Yeah, I, I want to. I want people to know about you, and I want to know about you myself before we get into our uh, um, opinions on movies and stuff like that. So, what's your your history? I mean, were the, the thing I always ask artists on the show: Were you an art kid in school? Were you the kid that was oh, yeah. known for drawing? That was your identity, oh, yeah. and you know how you you know what you kind of gravitated towards, what kind of things you drew, blah blah blah. So, give me your a little history. All right. Well, born in 1975 okay. in Wilmington, Delaware. Oh, are you um, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. So, trip. Um, my 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 parents went over there. My dad's a, a vet, oh. and my mom was a nurse. Um, and my dad was over there doing some studies for vet, well, doing vet studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and myself and my younger brother were born, as I said, in Wilmington. But but they were then, from uh, Australia. They're both Australian. Okay. Yeah. So um, he, well, their family moved to Perth probably about three years after that. So I was in the States for only three years, came back with a little accent um, <laughs> to say apple, give me an apple. <laughs> and I used to get shit for that when I was in school. Um, Wait a minute. You guys have the accent. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is strange. Um, but um, Just kidding. So, yeah, and I always, I was always drawing or finger painting or doing some sort of art. I was always kind of that creative, that quiet kid that could just sit in the corner, scratch away, give mm-hmm. him some crayons, and I was good for ages. You know, yeah. everyone else was like, I want sports equipment yeah, or I'm bored. whatever. I was <laughs> like, um, just give me – my dad used to give me that big copy paper. It was like A3 copy paper right. and had the registration holes for going through big printers at the mm-hmm. lines on the back. Mm-hmm. So I could write whatever I was wanting on the back and then draw what I was, you know, the representation of that on the front, do oh, space cool. values, do the line, the horizontal horizon line and then <laughs> spaceships. And yep. so I was always drawing and painting. I think my dad's got some old finger paintings I did of Star Wars posters. Oh, cool. Um, like, you know, I had the TIE fighter and a kind of blob was Luke with his lightsaber and, I've still got little sketchbooks. I used to sit in trees barefoot and scribble away in little notepads, do little, you know, basically copy my figurines, my toys or whatever into a mm-hmm. little book. Um, so it was in your blood. And yeah, it was, yeah, it was always just, I was, I think I found out later on in life that I think my great grandfather on my mother's side was actually a political cartoonist Oh wow! Uh, oh, cool. in Australia. And, and I remember seeing a couple of his drawings. My mum, she's really good at um, watercolours and doing little 
she can copy as well. She can oh. just say something and copy it out. Like a hobby, a hobbyist kind of artist. Yeah, sort of. She would make, she'd do crafty things. She'd yeah. make teddy bears. Yeah, my mom was the same uh, way. She had talent, yeah, but it was and, more like a, a hobby for her. She, yeah, she would make like my birthday invitations or whatever. You know, rattle your bones to my birthday party. It'd be little skeletons dancing around a graveyard. So <laughs> oh, cool. It just always had that kind of that that um that angle to it was always very graphic i love comic books mm-hmm. um and you know my dad being a vet then that there you get the viscera in there <laughs> right know, i used to get taken say like post-mortems right I'd do autopsies on cows and stuff like this at the vet school wow and i'd be sitting up in the auditorium looking at it and um you know, singing songs and stuff i loved it i was like you know i'd <laughs> it's fascinating to, stuff. It's fascinating. They would, they would really. want me to come down. Do you want me to, you know, can I cut a little bit? Can I cut a little uh-huh. bit of this intestine open or something? And they'd be like, oh, don't cut that bit because, of, you know, all the food that it's eating will come out and right. it stinks. And be like, <laughs> okay, I won't cut that. But, you know, there'll be half a sheep on a table and it just didn't phase me. Wow. I was not worried about it. Interesting. Um, they would have, they've got like a museum at the Murdoch University where my dad works. And there's, you know, like two-headed cats in formaldehyde right? or like half a horse head, you know, plastinated horse head. And I used to just go in there and just be – if you knew where I was, that's where I'd be. I'd disappear right. and I'd go, he's probably in there looking at the emu skeleton. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just – it always just seemed to be that that was – I was always going to go towards that were, were macabre. Your, right. Were your parents – so were your parents supportive of that? Oh, for sure. Very supportive. Um, That's cool. I mean, mum especially, you know, you know, early on, you know, they buy you those things. They buy you the texters. They buy you the, 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 the notebooks and the sketchbooks. Um, but then, unfortunately, my parents split up when I was still quite young. They got right. divorced. Mm. Um, and that caused a whole bunch of trauma, as we all know. Yep. This is what gets us all doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and the, I took it pretty hard. Um, mm. my, basically estranged me from my two brothers. Um, oh, so my mum. Yeah. It, I mean, it, in time, time does heal it. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it's, at the time, you know, I'm, I'm 11, 12 years old uh, and you've got a lawyer talking to you saying, hey, you've got to make a decision for your younger brother. Oh, Where God. does who does he want to live with? Because he's too young to make the decision. Yeah. So not only I got to make a decision who I live with, I've now got to make a, a, some sort of an informed vision, a decision on, on my brother's future. Yeah, that's a so, lot. That's a lot to put in a kid. Yeah, man. it was huge, and it's it's a it was a it was traumatic. So so I ended up living with my dad, um, and my two brothers went and lived with my mom, mm. and. It was just me and my dad for ages. I mean, I pretty much had to learn how to look after myself. I had to learn how to sew buttons onto my shirts, make right. sure my clothes, you know, ironed for school, mm-hmm. made sure I had my own homework sorted. Plus, you know, I would go into the drawing. Right. The drawing therapeutic. It was, uh, you know, every time I would draw something, I did have that feeling. Like if I felt angry or despondent or whatever, put it in a drawing get it out, you know, yeah. and it was always someone getting ripped in half or, <laughs> you know, a zombie or a monster of some description, you mm-hmm. know, some sort of, uh, 
and a representation of your fears, whatever it might be. Um, and it helped. I found it helped. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is really common. You know, the, now that I'm, we're up to, this is going to be episode 123, I believe. And having interviewed all these artists, I mean, there's, there's such a thread running through all of us. So similar, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, not always, but often some kind of early trauma and using art as a, as kind of an expression of the trauma or a way to deal with it, you know, mm. you know, so, and- it's a process. It's, it's, I mean, it is some people, uh, you know, might process it by concentrating on their work or, right. you know, like, um, or, you know, basically getting a chip on their shoulder and just being a jerk for their whole right, life. Right. They might take it in that I, Yeah, yeah. I, 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 think I that, want it to be more creative. Well, take, that I, ne- take that negative, put a positive spin on it. I, I think and that's, I the, that's we had the, I think that as, as you know, genetically creative maybe in the beginning, we had that already in us. And so that was our thing. And, and so once we experienced the trauma, we used the thing that, that we love to you know we try and use that to deal with the trauma you know what i'm saying oh for sure so a lot of people oh, are not sure. as lucky because I mean, they don't have that outlet they ne- they didn't have that creative thing when they were kids so we're kind of fortunate we were able to channel that in a positive way you know yeah well, i mean it's it's almost a, it's a form of articulating it in a way that's going to be beneficial to you right um it gets other people seeing it as well and like some people might look at it and go well you're messed up you've obviously got deep-seated emotional problems and it's like yeah but i can get them out on paper how do you do it right yeah you know, yeah most of the people do that up and yeah I keep don't... the dog <laughs> yeah right yeah it's you like know, a lot of uh you know, go out and have yeah. a uh, have a few beers on a friday night and right. get in a fight is this how you uh you know expel all of your nastiness well, right. then i don't want to do that i would rather be uh the person that just is able to get it out on paper and it, it does definitely help. It makes a, a huge difference. If I don't do it, if I don't draw, if I, there's, I have lapses of not drawing, you can feel that build up. Oh, yeah. You have to. Yeah. Kind of it's a necessity. If you don't do it, you get cranky. Yeah. You get nasty. You yeah. start snapping at people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you know, little things start bugging their shit out of you. And you're just like, oh, man, I need to draw. I need yeah. to go and have a, you know, even if it's just sit on a piece of cardboard and just, push some pain around. I need to do it. Right. I just, that's how I, that's how you work this stuff out. And I've, I've always done it. I've always done it. So, you know, school, I was the kid that would be drawing stuff and making the sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of primary school, which I think, you know, is about 1987. Mm-hmm. So we go from, you know, kindergarten mm-hmm. then to primary school and then to high school and I ended up getting a scholarship to a place called Applecross Senior High School. They had a special art program. Oh, how cool. So it was extracurricular art program. So on Tuesday nights and on Saturdays, you'd go to school and you would learn art history on Tuesdays. Wow. And on Saturdays, you would learn art from local artists. That's or, amazing. You know, yeah. I learned from animators, uh, fabric, doing like, uh, airbrushing on fabric. Um, you know, you learn life drawing, still life. So it was kind of like from 88 to 92 when I graduated, I'd already, that was my art training. Right. Um, that's amazing. Got into the, 
West Australian Art Gallery after that, like straight out of high school, just had a one of my pieces appear in, a, in an exhibition that went all the way around Australia. So what, that was wow, what, cool. what kind of piece was it? It was called, it was a monoprint. So it was something that we've been, we, we, we were learning the uh, Heidelberg School, which is in Australia, you've got Tom Robbins and Frederick McCubbin. They were like en plein air uh, artists that would go out and they'd paint the Australian landscape. Mm-hmm. So you'd get all the gum trees and the eucalyptus and now they would paint the, the uh, what is it, the shears. You'd be, you know, they'd be shearing the sheep and all that sort of stuff, very right. rural stuff. Mm-hmm. And we were all learning that in our last couple of years. That was kind of our brief uh, that we had to uh, adhere to. And I did a monoprint, which basically taking a piece of glass and I spread oil-based paint all up and down of it and then laid down another piece of paper and peeled it back mm-hmm. and made the impression of a forest. So I basically used all the colours of the gum trees and the leaves and kind of put them there and you get one print. Right. And right. They, they loved it. They were like, this is amazing. And it was like, oh, my God, That's, this is so throwaway. Do you still have it? Uh, my parents actually have it framed up in their house. Excellent. That's great. That's they just great. think it's like they love it. They just like it's they're like it's very Australian. Uh, um, that's cool, man. And yes, I mean, that went all around Australia. Um, and then I guess after high school, I tried to do what we've got here. It's kind of like a, like a technical college called mm-hmm. TAFE. Uh, I, I tried, I wanted to do, I thought all right, I'll, I'll do graphic design. Right. I'll get in graphic design because that's going to get me money. I'm going to be able to get a job. Right. Freaking hated every minute of it. I just could not stand it because really? I'd already done. Yeah. Oh man. Um, were, it compu- was just, were computers in the mix at this point, or was it like? Yeah, just really beginning, like right. into the like. I think we had like Apple Macs that yeah. were like really kind of rudimentary, but it was you know it was like we're gonna do a spreadsheet today, and it's like this is an art. <laughs> it's graphic. What are we doing here? Like, yeah, it's graphic design, kids, and it's like, oh, what have I done? Like, I, I really. I, I'd like to credit myself with giving my illustration lecturer a triple bypass, though. He ended up having a massive heart attack in the last year. Well, I, I did one year, but, man, I made his life a living hell. Every brief was, man, why? Because why, yeah, he'd say, this is the brief, this is how we're going to do it. And I'd always go, yeah, but what about this way? Mm-hmm. I've seen other people do it this way, and it, it's just as good, just as valid, just as viable. And he'd be like, stick to the brief. Right. I'm the teacher. You're the student. And it's like, yeah, but I'm here to learn about an industry. Teach uh-huh. me about the industry. Don't just teach me what you've been told to tell me. Right. Teach me what you know as a professional because that's apparently who they were. Right. But I quickly established that they weren't that professional because they'd all take teaching jobs in order to actually just make a living. Right. So some artists were, some of them were actual artists. Um, my life figure uh, teacher was hugely supportive and he was a fantastic artist. His name escapes me for the moment. This is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was just – I'd already had my fill of the, the traditional – like, you know, I, I knew my colour wheels. I knew the basics as much as I wanted to know them and I thought TAFE, you know, technical college was going to – 
teach me more about how to get that job and how to hold on to that job mm. and be successful doing it. Uh, and it did the complete opposite. It basically forced me into, well, not forced me, but made me come to the conclusion that freelance artwork was the only way I was actually going to learn. Okay. And get better at what I was doing and do the stuff that I really wanted to do. Right. Uh, I mean, Perth, it's, it's very isolated. It's probably the, one of the most isolated cities on the planet. Is right it? on the west. Yeah, well, it's Western Australia. So you've got everything that happens in Sydney and Canberra and Queensland, everything on that side. And then you've got Western Australia, which is it's pretty much a, a mining. Mining is paramount here, mining and sports. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think the uh, app across the, the, the special art program doesn't exist anymore and all that stuff the financing just it just goes away for it they just don't they, they'd rather the government would rather have uh you know people playing football and soccer and right. getting outdoors than getting palely pale and sitting inside drawing pictures i guess <laughs> but um, you know there's just there's not a huge market for especially the sort of dark art stuff yeah. that i enjoy right in Perth. Now, if I, if I went to Melbourne or if I went to Sydney, I might be able to get a job in a studio right. working as a concept artist. But you've probably known these concept artists. They, they do long hours. They do heaps and hundreds and hundreds of drawings. Mm-hmm. And then none of, them, none of them are used. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, and I've done that. I've done concept work. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've tried as many avenues to get, just to get a little bit further ahead in what I want to be, you know, the sort of artwork that I want to see myself doing. So did you, so you started like uh, um, after high school, you basically, after that technical school experience, you just started what, like uh, um, submitting to places just to try and yeah, get different just, types of art jobs. Yeah, I, I worked for a, um, a place that they, they, they specialized in doing caricatures. Okay. <laughs> There's a place called the Toon Factory. Huh. Now, they would do little comic book type things, like if a mining company wanted like a sort of schematic or a, a cutaway section, but they wanted little cartoon miners or little cartoon trucks. That was my job, to draw right. these little cartoon trucks onto, uh, you know, big pieces of paper that they then they could color and use for, for their promotions. Oh, okay. It's like, like for advertising and stuff? Yeah, more advertising, but I was hired freelance. I wasn't actually part of there. They they I would, they were sourcing me out basically. Right. So they they had an, an excess of work, and they they sourced it out to me for a while. So I worked on that for a little while. That was probably not even a year. Mm. Um, and then you know the jobs dried up. Um, they're like, we can handle it now. See you later. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. like, oh okay. So now I've got to find something else. So. Ended up doing a lot of odd jobs, and art took a bit of a, uh, a backburn. I mean, it was still it was still there. I was still mm-hmm. trying to do my art in my own private time, and still trying to do, you know, the occasional band flyer or, uh, you know, some sort of artwork for whoever I was interested. Tattoo designs potentially. Um, so yeah, I, I, I kept trying to just do that, do that, do that, do more artwork. Get involved in doing maybe a few local magazines do a little comic strip or something for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
and it just it just continued from there. And then, long long story short, uh, early two maybe two thousand four, I started working and getting contact with IDW Publishing in San Diego, hmm. and they they're the guys that published Thirty Days of Night. Yeah. The, the Steve Niles, yeah, Ben Temple yeah. Smith. Yeah, yeah. So Ben Temple Smith's from Perth as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, so, cool. uh, and also Ashley Wood, he's from Perth as well. He does a lot of the, he did a lot of the covers. He's and, Ashley Wood is fucking incredible. Oh yeah, his paintings are unbelievable. They're really nice. Yeah. He's, a, he's, he's an exceptional fine artist. Yeah, um, sure. And yeah, you know, they're still, I think Ben's still living in the States, but yeah, so I, I, I kind of threw Ashley and yeah, he's a really nice guy through those guys. It was kind of like, you should submit to IDW. You should do something for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I will. Um, and my first, my first gig that they were going to get me on was, um, Steve Niles and the actor Thomas Jane, you know, Thomas Jane No. He was the Punisher. Oh, okay. Played the Punisher in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they were writing a comic book called Bad Planet, and they wanted it kind of like a Wally Wood, EC Comics type sci-fi adventure with uh, spider-head aliens. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah, I did a yeah, whole bunch yeah, of I know design. this guy. Yeah, I, yeah, I did a huge design uh, session with them. So we designed the, the spider-head and we did um, some cover mock-ups and um it was all going really well and then they had issues with idw for whatever reason and they left idw and that closed the book on that one so all this work that i'd done uh i'd already started doing actual sequential pages for it as well fully colored just see you later yeah that's done (laughs) thankfully Chris Ryle, the editor-in-chief at IDW at the time, was a really nice guy, and he felt really bad. So he said, well, you like doing zombie stuff. How would you like to do the covers for George A. Romero's Land of the Dead comic books? Wow. And I went, and you, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, please. Yes, please, sir. How much do mm. I have to pay you? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah, so that was my first official comic book gig that was doing the four covers of sorry five covers for land of the dead comic book adaptation from idw wow and romero saw it um they told me he loved the pictures so awesome is that i never got to meet romero but some sort of weird degrees of separation there it was like i got to be part of that legacy yeah Um, that's great i've got I'll, i'll pull it out later but i've got um I've still got the Land of the Dead comic books. I've got a little comic books that anyone that's got Land of the Dead uh, DVD, I can slip the comic book. It's like the first issue. It's just big enough to fit into the front of your DVD. Oh, cool. So you can have like a little Land of the Dead comic book. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, that's so cool, that man. came out and they, everyone really liked that. That was pretty cool. That was pretty much at this point I was all digital. So oh, okay. I, I picked up Photoshop in that time as well because a lot of people had said, you're really slow. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite laborious when I get into doing my drawings. I can take hours and hours to draw an I eyeball. Can, I can tell. Yeah, and it's just 
I mean, I was using gouache, the smallest brushes you could possibly see. Mm. And, you know, it was just, and then it was not financially viable for me to work that way. Right. So, yeah, I, I ended up going digital Photoshop. That's um, what I, which for, for any. I really took that for a while. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I got really into it when I was doing uh, creature design doing in Photoshop. Cause you know, when you're doing stuff like, I don't know, I feel like if it's not, if it's like, uh, 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 something that's close to my heart, it's more like a job. It's more about options, giving them options and how fast you can do it. It's like Photoshop is it. You yeah. Know? It's like, there's, it doesn't make any sense to do tra- use traditional media on a commercial illustration job, I think, especially yeah. for stuff like that. But, Anyway, sorry. just I mean, especially because comic books, I mean, you've basically got a month if you're going to do like the interior of a comic book, which is kind of where I was gearing myself towards. I was mm-hmm. like, I really want to do the cover and the inside because nine times out of 10, you go to a comic book store and you pick up a cool cover and you go, wow, look at the cover, open it up and go, oh, right. <laughs> it's not the same dude. Yeah. Like, what's going on? So I wanted that. I don't know. That was more of. I guess selfishness on my behalf. I wanted that experience, even if I had to do it myself. <laughs> right. So, yeah, in two thousand and five, we went to San Diego Comic Con, ah. and IDW were there, and we talked to them. Uh, myself and another a writer from Perth, Shane McCarthy, who worked for DC Comics for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, he had written a story called Zombies Feast, and it was basically I pitched it as like. Night of Living Dead, it's black and white, but it's going to have spot red color as the gore gets more and more through the books. That sounds great. So the first issue, like, you know, you'd be a little bit of red on the zombie's mouth or a little bit of red on someone's bite or something, but yeah. by the end, it would just be like red. Everything would just be like <laughs> gore coming out everywhere. I love it. And it was a great idea. They were like, yes, let's go for it. So we started working on Zombie Feast. So 2006, we're working on this book. This is all on, type. all on spec. What do you mean? Like, like did, did, did you, I have did a contract? Pay, yeah. Did, well, did yeah, they, yeah, did you get some contract. money? You got some money up yeah, front? Yeah, I, so, I got okay. paid really well. Oh, I, good, did, good. I did all the covers. I did all the covers actually interlocked. So if you opened oh. up all the books, it was a panorama with about 80 zombies. Damn, that sounds great. <laughs> if you Google zombies, zombies feast, Chris okay. Bolton, you'll see it. It's, I think it's on my Instagram. I did a, a, a little uh, sliding. Oh, cool. I tried to get the whole thing sliding across so you could see the whole thing. Okay. But it had everyone it had clown zombies. It's got little kids. Excellent. I think there's like a there's like a um, Hare Krishna dude. Excellent. Um, <laughs> there's business suit man. There's me. Uh, there's a couple of my friends in there. Uh, <laughs> I pretty much put everyone in there. That's great. Um, unfortunately, yeah, I didn't get a yeah. An issue came up. We were doing the book, and as like I said, it was going to be black and white with red spot coloring. Um, but due to a typo error in Diamond Previews, the Diamond Distributors book that has all the comic books in it, they said it was full color. Oh no! And I went, no, it's not. It's <laughs> black and white with spot red. And they've gone, no, no, no. You've got basically you've got to color it now. So you've almost finished the first issue. But now a, you've got to color it. What a bummer, I had two man. days. I had like two days to do it oh, to color. God. So I did it, but it, it completely threw my schedule off. It was a bit uh, like it wasn't 
the way I wanted it to look. Yeah. So no, I nothing get, will like, take your uh, inspiration away. Like, oh, totally. something like that. All the air out of the room. Yeah. I was stuck in that vacuum where I was like, oh, you know, what? I I'm, I'm on the internet. You know, it's the hour difference between, you know, the States and myself. So it was like, you know, I'm up at one o'clock in the morning just to talk to these guys. Oh, God. I got to stand, you know, sit there and wait for their response. And I'm like, just <laughs> more and more tired, just going, come on. I just. <laughs> So I en- ended up not being able to even complete all of the issues. Wow. They ended up having to get someone else to do two of them. Unfortunately, the issues with the most amount of gore and violence in them, which bummer. was, yeah, it was a bummer. So, but that was, I mean, getting that was, it was awesome. I, I mean, I, I really like comic books. I was working in a comic book store at the same time, so I got to see people buy my book oh, how cool. and then sign it. And there you go, dude. It's kind of a nice little thing for them to enjoy. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, I got to meet Bernie Wrightson at oh, Comic Con. Cool. Wow. Um, which, you know, I, I was a blathering idiot. Yeah. Just blah, 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 hello, <laughs> Bernie. Because if it was here, if it wasn't for Bernie, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Right. You know, I remember seeing the the Ghostbusters making of book when I was young, and opening it up and going. Wow, you can get paid to draw monsters. Yeah, right. Get paid to design creatures. Yep. Well, that's what I want to do. I yeah. just want to do that. Like that's – how come no one told me that that was a job? Right. So, yeah, meeting him was awesome. Was such a lovely guy. Um, I got to meet so many nice people in Comic-Con. It was really, really cool. Um, Jeff Darrow, Mike Mignola. Yeah. We got to meet Ken Forey. Oh, that cool. That was really cool. Wow. He's, like, got the biggest hands on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a super cool guy in interviews. Oh, he was lovely, hey. And, and you know, he was he, – he wants to come. He was like, I want to go to Australia. And it's like, cool, dude, you should. Yeah. But he was worried about sharks. He was worried about going <laughs> in the water. I'm like, dude, like, any shark that's going to see you swimming around is probably going to go, holy shit, that's Ken Forey. Yeah. It's going to back off. That guy's going to break me like a toothpick. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, we met yeah, so many nice people, so many nice. And that was it was almost like a, a homecoming in a, in a strange way because so many people were very accepting and yeah. very cool with the artwork. You know, I, I brought all my artwork, well, a small folio of artwork with me and got some really good responses from people. Yeah, you must have been on cloud nine after that. Oh, man, I was – you know, signing copies of Land of the Dead and handing them out, meeting uh, Robert Kirkman wow. before Walking Dead really had kind of kicked off. Right. Um, you know, he's hanging out at the Image Comics booth. I was like, oh, my God, there's Robert Kirkman. <laughs> In retrospect now, you look at it and it's like, oh, yeah, I don't think I could get within 10 feet of him. Right. That's some big burly guy wrestling me to the ground. <laughs> um, got to meet Bruce Campbell. That was yeah. a highlight. He's cool. Love that man. Mm-hmm. Love the team. Um, and yeah, just you know, got to meet Frazetta's daughter. Yeah, so, got I, to buy a copy of Fire and Ice with yeah. a lenticular cover. Yeah, I met, um, I met her before. She's awesome. I'm friends with her on Facebook too. She's really cool. Got to meet uh, Ralph Bashke's daughter. Talk about wizards. Excellent. Talk about Vaughn Bodie. Um, because yeah. yeah, this again. Uh, get back to like some of the artwork stuff. So I did, I did the comic books and then I basically it's, it's, I've, I've 
become more selfish. I've decided if I'm going to do that sort of thing, I'm going to do it for myself. I'm going to try and independently produce it myself. That's the way to go. Uh, so we've got uh, – I'm working on a comic book idea with a friend of mine, Ashley Baness. Mm-hmm. He's also on uh, Instagram. Uh, he is a fellow creator, amazing artist, really good writer, just a, a brainiac mm-hmm. for uh, concept ideas. Just He's constantly churning out cool ideas. Cool. Um, What's the uh, concept yeah, for the book? It's called Gun Rando. Mm-hmm. I've made a – that's Gun Rando. I'm going to take a screen grab of this too. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, he's got glass in his back. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like uh, more guns than Rambo. That's cool. So uh, he's got like a, a shotgun. Ah, where's this thing? Little flails on the shotgun. Cool. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, he's, he's basically an unstoppable killing machine. Um, Gun Rando is, I don't know, the, the name we, we decided was it's pretty much the weapon of, uh, uh, a weapon of the gods. So when a, when a planet or when a, a, a civilization is towards its end game, mm. they send one of these god weapons down to basically absorb uh. all the negativity and then, that, and then it ter- turns him into a, a weapon that will basically is like a big bang. And starts it all off again. Wow, that's so cool. That is so, you yeah. know, that I don't want to give away too much from, and it's not really, but that's kind of a similar idea to the direction I was sort of thinking of my Black Magic character in the dystopia mm. world at one point. And it's kind of changed because it's more like, you know, for, for me, it's been figuring out what is he rather than how do I make a story around this guy? It's more like, what really is he? Like, it's, Almost like I already know what he is. I just have to figure out what I know already. But that was kind of one of the, and in a way, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into it. But that's just a trip. That's a trip because it's yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's and it was cool. It was like, more of an excuse idea. to do ultra violence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so and do the stuff that we like doing. I mean, you know, both myself and Ashley, you know, big George Miller. We love Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Oh, we love yeah. kind of apocalyptic. Um, but also we, we like the idea of um, having some, some uh, writing the story, actually having a good story. I think artwork's good. got to um, have a good story, man. You've got to have something that gets people involved and, and don't spoon feed it like comic books normally do, you know, and they've got their little boxes where it's like, oh, this is your internal monologue. This is going right. to explain his motivations. Don't, don't sugarcoat it. Don't spoon feed it. People will get it if they want to pick it up and read it and have some sort of an idea for themselves of what it's about. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the thing that will make it last. Right. If, if you make it too obvious, then it can be so easily just get mixed up in the, the vast industry that there is in comic books. You just get sucked in. Yeah. You know, you've got something stand out. So I've got, I've got 150 pages of that storyboarded. Wow. So that's like a – that's a graphic novel in itself, and that's only book one. Excellent. So there's actually a few books in the series that we intend to work on, but again, money, time. Yeah. Um, you know, Ashley works in a print shop. I'm trying to get my paintings organized. 
as you can see behind me. Mm-hmm. I've just got all my work kind of ready to go. Because, um, yeah, just doing digital for so long, it was like I need to get back into tangible drawing. Right. So yeah, yeah. The, last, the last two years I've kind of steered back away from doing digital stuff and getting right back into painting with acrylics. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you use all okay. kinds of stuff. You use inks and acrylics yeah, and wash. I, I try to – well, that's it. I try and – I've tried to – whatever I see someone else do, I try and not, well, emulate as well as learn from what they've done. Right. So if I pick up an airbrush, it's because I've seen Giga or I've seen someone else use the airbrush or I've seen someone working in a an effects studio mm-hmm. painting a mask but doing excellent blends and doing, like, little details with an airbrush and gone – I want to do that. I want right. to do that on canvas, or I want to do that on a sculpture. Right. So you just you just sort those things, and you look for those things that you know are going to advance your artwork as well as make you happy. Yeah, keep you interested. Yeah, don't be ashamed if you're doing it just for little, you know, little selfish reasons. You know, if it's just I want to learn how Bernie Wrightson did that inking. Well, look at Franklin Booth. And look at Frazetta and you kind of work out where his influences were. Right. Yeah, um, it's 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 the it's the lineage, you know. It's like we all kind of are influenced by each other and we learn from each other and it's totally natural. Yeah, and, and accept that as like, you know, don't ever compare yourself to them though. Mm-hmm. Don't ever assume that you're gonna be uh, a, a copy of them because that's Right. That's never going to happen. There's, you know, there's one you and there's one them. <laughs> yeah, right. You, know, you try and do too much of that. I mean, comic book has, comic book industry has a lot of that. A lot of uh, copycats. A lot yeah. of people that they just adhere to a certain style that another artist had done infinitely better, and right. then that's it. That's it for their whole life. Right. And they don't even get to do a character that is theirs. They get to draw Spider Man or Daredevil for thirty years. Right. I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't want to be that person. Uh, I've got good ideas for their characters, but they'll never let me do that. Right. Because I want to fuck with their mythologies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. If someone came to me and said, oh, I want you to do a Batman story, and we're like, well, I don't want to do a Batman story. I want to do a story about the Joker, you know, but the Joker isn't the Joker. It's, it's, it's you know, he's, he's, uh, he's a businessman. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you don't. You, you just want to do something a little bit different. You want to do something that doesn't adhere to that, um, that regimented format that they just keep peddling and peddling and peddling. You know, other oh, yeah. characters they'll be back next season. Right. Well, you that's know, why oh, you do. Okay. That's that's why you do your own thing. You know. That's, yeah. That's what it's and all that's about. Where, that's where we're at at the moment. Is that I just yeah want to be able to produce what I enjoy. How are you going to produce it? Like uh, publish publish it, and, and are you going to um, get print it yourself into, and create your? Yeah, own? that was that was the option. Um, first and foremost, we're thinking maybe uh, going out small bits and pieces online as mm-hmm. a free thing. Mm-hmm. So you do like a, almost like an ash can, like when you go to the comic con, they give you a little ten page sample of it. Right. But do that as an online thing. Um, you know, obviously Kickstarter, Patreon, all these things because we've got a lot of concept work. We've got a lot of, you know, I've done so much work for it. I mean, that's probably, Gun Rando is probably 15 years old now that we've been wow. working on. Wow. So it's been going on it for a while. Better be um, fucking good. 
<laughs> by the Sunny, time it comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That was the thing. I mean, um, if it isn't, then yeah, we'll just we'll just shrink into the background. And <laughs> that's why it will be good, though. Really, it's you know they say that with bands, like you have your whole life to to write your first album, and then you've got six months to write your second album. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, you know, that's putting that time in is, is uh, probably why and you only really get that opportunity once. Right. Because if you do and you do it really well, that's as you just said, the next thing is like, all right, well, you've got six weeks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's that they're, they're actually doing you a favor. They're not saying, well, normally we want it in four weeks. Right. But we give it a little bit extra because your artwork's detailed. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, there's not enough time. You bastards. <laughs> I'm, I'm, and again, I, you know, like, I've got a high standard for that type of thing as yeah. well. I mean, again, it's a comparative thing. You look at stuff that you really enjoy or you look at stuff, you know, like the vintage stuff when you saw that stuff in Bernie Wrightson's and your, um, your, your Wally Woods and all those guys. You just go, well, look, these guys were technically almost perfect. Right. And you can't help a little bit of that. Like, I want to be as good as that. Yeah. I want to have that. And, um, Absolutely, and you can always tell someone who isn't confident when they do that stuff because mm. they got wiggly lines. Right, <laughs> the old wiggly lines. I mm. I, I have uh, always wanted to do a comic book, and I never have. And it's something I'm hopefully I'm going to do eventually with the dystopia project when that gets done. So I'm I'm like, it sounds like so much fun to me to to mm. have time set aside to you know do a sequential comic book just to me it's like it just you know makes me excited so that's you know it's so much cheaper than making a movie yeah right right and, and, and it's like do, storyboarding a movie do, really yeah, you can do crazy stuff with comic books i think that was when the whole initial thing when i, I met ashley was that he was he's a he's wants to make films he does really want to make films and i saw this character and i went it's not a film character dude this is a comic book character because you can really just go really crazy with him, mm-hmm. just nuts. You know, he can be fighting 50, 60, 70, 80 dudes right. all on the same page. But the thing is, you, to do that in a movie, right. you've got to have the extras, you've got to have, you know, the, the, the logistics of doing True. that are a hell of a lot more difficult than in a comic book. Definitely. But on, also, though, uh, imagine trying to make the movie 15 years ago. As opposed to now, oh, yeah. like technology. The, the cool thing about waiting is that the more you wait and refine your story in your your comic book, um, the more advanced and cheap technology becomes for making your own film. Oh, yeah. And that's that's another exciting thing about you know that's kind of what I was thinking for for my my dystopia project is maybe do a comic first because you are really laying out a storyboard for a film, which is something I would ultimately want to do anyway. So it's like, you know, you have it there. It's like, just film this, you know, and, and you know, you, your script is done yeah, and your Zach storyboards Snyder. are all done. <laughs> Zack Snyder, yeah, here's the book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you got frame by frame, just go for it. Right, right. I mean, it's the, I mean that's, yeah. And then again, the, with digital technology and special effects and things like that they've got now, they can do such wonderful things on the screen, but, yeah, sometimes I, I would like it to be done right. in an old in an old way, in a traditional way, yeah. you know, with, with puppets and stop motion, yeah. and then use digital to just tweak it, and make it just everybody, look a little bit more. Everybody knows 
that's the best way to do it. I don't know why they don't do it. Mixing the two technologies is, you know, you, you, you strengthen the weakness of each technology by using the other one and then you get you know perfection or whatever, but it's, I don't, they never do it. Well, that's not true. They never do it. They, they have done it uh, in a lot of films, but they don't do it enough. It's usually like, well, you know, it's all digital now for the most yeah. part, you know, and it's like, for whatever reason, you know, it always gets better, but, um, there's you know there's something not there so often yeah, you know when you have a big film that has all digital stuff it's like there's going to be a few things that just don't look like they have the weight or whatever they just don't look physical and it's you know it's just kind of the well, way it's, it is it's, it's like when i was saying you know, you'd read those magazines they're on set here's a behind the scenes shot of the thing right there's rob Boutine. there's john carpenter there's the monster. Whereas nowadays behind the scenes is it's a green screen with right. someone with dots on their suit. And they go, look, here's Benedict Cumberbatch pretending to be a dragon. It's like, I <laughs> know oh, I'm not buying that magazine. I don't right. really want that. You know, I, I want to see the magic part. I want to fit, you know, the, know that there was someone who had to sculpt it, someone who had to, shine the eyeballs and put them in the blue with the little servos to yeah. make the eyes blink. And someone had to paint uh, some gelatin onto his tongue to make it look shiny. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, someone had to get the KY jelly tub and pour it all over that thing to make it look sloppy. But you know, you know you, that, that's you, the stuff that I get, you know, yeah, that's you, the stuff that's you, tangibility is the key. You sound very into effects. So I'm wondering like makeup effects. Like, did you ever consider getting into makeup effects when you were younger? Because it seems like I've, yeah, you seem I've like that kind of guy, um, <laughs> like an did, effects we did type We try person. and make, yeah, we tried to make that sort of stuff work. Um, but again, just buying materials, buying latex, buying, um, you know, NSP Chavant to make like a monster mask or something. You know, you're just yeah. you're paying a lot of money for the shipping down to Australia. Yeah, yeah, um, it's so expensive to ship there. Oh my god, Kirkside, they will sell you like pots of latex, but it's expensive. You know, yeah. And, you know, we were just learning. Right. Yeah, you know, it's an expensive you know hobby. It, it's an learn. expensive hobby to, you know, to do a dud pour. Yeah. You know, yep. you realize, oh, shit, I've just blown 60 bucks and oh, I've got I remember, nothing to show. I remember getting, my, <laughs> get, getting uh, saving up my money and getting this, uh, it was a urethane rubber at the time before they were using silicone for molds. And pouring it up and getting making it all perfect and getting it ready, and I did something wrong, and it all leaked out the bottom, and it was just like, yeah. there's nothing you can do. There's so no crushing. saving it. Yeah, it's it's just when you're a kid, you know. And you, you know, we money. used to make little Super Eight movies. We yeah, same here. Yeah, at, I did too. School, we had a Super Eight camera, so you know, no sound, right. but you know, we would make little effects. We would use clay and condoms full of blood uh-huh. and ate our own blood out of um, you know, red and blue f- food coloring um, and some flour. Yeah. Uh, mixed it all up. I think we put some ketchup in them as well just to make it kind of more red and viscous. <laughs> um, what was it? Corn flour. That's what it was. Corn flour. Mix that all up. And the blood actually, it was wicked. It was written. We made this excellent batch once. It all, it would, um, yeah, it would go hard. 
and uh, <laughs> yeah, coagulate on yeah. things. So it yeah. was like real blood. It was really good. It would run off, but then after a while, it'd go all chewy and gross right. on you. So it looked disgusting. Um, I got it sprayed in my mouth when I was a zombie, and it was the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted. But <laughs> it was good because I kind of spit all this blood up through a zombie mask and. They had tubes spraying blood out of my temples and all this other stuff because I was supposed to be getting attacked. Excellent. And, you know, we made this stuff. I think one of my friends has still got little Super 8 real uh, copies of that. you got to get that stuff transferred on a di- digital. I've got a bunch yeah, of I, I, Super 8 I movies I need to get. ask them. Yeah. I, it's like I'm afraid to ship mine because, you know, it's like you have one copy of Super yeah. 8 and you have to ship it to this place. Although there's probably a local place that I could go, but... Well, we a- even even when we've got to send it off, we had to send it off. I have to send it off to Sydney to get even just processed. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So we don't have anyone here that's going to even be able to process seven, you know, the little Super Eight reel. Wow. So they had to mail that stuff off, and then you wait. <laughs> Anticipation is the worst. You're like, oh, is it going to be any good? Yeah, oh, yeah. I remember, yeah, when you I know, when I was like in the 70s, it was like you had to. Uh, I would make these Super Eight films. I was nine years old making these movies. And I would, and it, you could drop it off at the drugstore, and they would develop it. So it was like you had three minutes, you know, like three and a half minutes or something for each uh, cartridge, and then you drop it off the drugstore, and then you wait a week, and then you go and pick it up to see if see if it's any good. <laughs> it was so <laughs> exciting to pop it in the projector and look at it, and then I started getting into editing and cutting it together and taping. Oh, that was too much fun, man. I, I mean, yeah. making movies was originally before i got into effects i wanted to make movies so it seems like a full circle thing for me too i mean now i mean that's the thing when i was growing up there wasn't really any sort of like i mean there was an industry we were still making films but um you know it was all very usa centric everything that we were watching was you know coming out of america coming out of the uk yeah. Um, so, I mean, for a kid growing up and seeing all that stuff, it was like, you know, I was kind of, I was like, thank God I was born in America because I can go there and get work eventually. Right. Um, <laughs> which, I, you know, I did, but, uh, you know, it's not something now that I feel like, you know, with, with the internet the way it is, I can quite comfortably work from where I am. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they, some people require a little bit of the, you know, go and meet, meet right. and greet type affair, but. For most part nowadays, it's a lot easier uh, to to you know send off work, get in contact with someone. Oh yeah. yeah. So it, it's definitely a whole different industry. And I mean, I've I've got friends now. They're like, if you film something, I can edit it from uh, you know Brisbane or whatever, and then I can send it back to you. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, doing that doing that even 10, 15 years ago was you know you'd be freaking out the whole time. Yeah. Sending videos in the mail or, you know, tiny little compact discs full of information right. in the mail, wondering yeah. whether or not it was going to get snapped. Now, did, have you so, ever, have you ever, um, done, uh, concept design for film, like any movie stuff? Uh, I've, well, not, not officially. I've definitely tried to tried my hand at doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done concepts for, I worked for, it was a subsidiary of the discovery channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a place they did a show called Animal X. Mm-hmm. If you Google it, it's a really old show. Uh, but basically I did all the concept designs for their their, their Bigfoot 
the Yowie, which is like a Sasquatch. Oh, cool. Um, uh, as well as um, what else did I do? Like a thylacine, which is like, you know, one of our uh, animals that we've got here, well, uh, extinct animals. Um, like Loch Ness Monster, I think, did one of those illustrations. They're almost like the old uh national geographic covers where you get someone who painted up a really nice bird right. or a really nice lizard in gouache. I was doing these big pictures for this show that they could so that was pretty much my first foray into so concept art. They film it. Right, right. So stationary picture that they could track a camera across. And that's sort cool. of, you know that's cool. Yeah. So But no horror Tasmanian creatures. Track, that's what it is. No creature just horror. for myself mostly. Yeah. Just for myself mostly. Um I mean, I've done concept drawings for people when they want, you know, I don't know, maybe it's my superpower. Someone can explain to me a concept and I go, okay, give me as much detail as you can and I'll sit down and for some unbeknownst reason I can work it out mm-hmm. and pretty quickly too. Like a police Especially sketch artist. Go, yeah, <laughs> I mean, if it's like, you know, stylistically what are you thinking of, you know, mm-hmm. like tell me what you're, you know, a, because everyone, when they see a concept, they've always got that preconceived notion of what it is in their head. Right. But they can't get that image out of their head onto paper. So if I can facilitate that, any, I've just got to ask lots of questions. What movie inspired it or what music inspired it? What have you seen that inspired this creature? Is it a dream? Was it a nightmare? You know, right. was it from taking too many mushrooms? <laughs> Tell me about where you got it from, how you got to that, and then we'll work through each of the bits. What's its legs look like? You know, what's its mating habits? You know, right. stuff that will help you in the whole design aspect of it, and I do that a lot. Oh, cool. Um, and, I mean, with my friend Ash, we're constantly fixing movies just in conversations. When you're like, well, we saw that film. How would we fix that? Right. Well, I'd make it this. <laughs> <laughs> I would concentrate more on this, or I would, this character wouldn't even exist. So right. <laughs> you kind of you do that as like a you know that's a really good, healthy way of you know, rather than just getting angry at what's out there and that you're not doing anything, just try and you know if you think you can do better, then just do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, you will. Yeah. You know, don't just complain that it's not good enough. Do better. Yeah. So I mean, what what kind of what are you doing now? Like, what's the main thing you're doing now for uh, earning? Are you doing mostly um, comic work, or at the moment I'm trying, as I said, trying to get uh, my paintings. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm doing quite a lot of paintings. So you're so. really fo- you're really focusing on the on the fine art right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much. Um, I've been since last year. Since I think uh, early last year. I've been kind of a no job, you know, I stopped working in regular day jobs mm-hmm. and decided, you know, um, I'm going to really give this artist thing a fair shake now. How's, um, it, how's it going? So, uh, <laughs> very, very slowly. But not, not, I mean, in, in, like I said, that synchronicities thing comes back in, in the last year, almost two years as it is now. Um, you know, just, just stuff that I didn't think would ever happen started happening. People start coming out of the woodwork and you mm-hmm. start getting your contacts up. Yep. Um, I joined the Dark Art Society Cooperative there on Facebook. Go. There which you go. Just suddenly, again, the floodgates <laughs> open, you know, like I'm meeting 
um, you know, Sam B, I'm following his art, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff that I didn't know it existed before. Irish Pangborn, oh, my God, I hate that guy. Right, he's you amazing. Know? So you look at this stuff, it's just like, you know, Dos Diablos, oh, my God, oh, you yeah. know, it's all these dudes that I didn't know about 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. I'm now it's exciting. following them and getting in, getting inspired and being part of that community and, um, you know, getting to talk with people like you um, as well as, yeah, like just the nicest group of people I, I think I've ever met. Yeah, right. Um, and, and really uh, accommodating um, and exceptionally talented across the board. Right. Everyone's doing good stuff. Um, and everyone's all helping each other and, you know, it's yeah. supporting each so other. It's I, really cool. I, I want to kind of be, I'm going to gear myself to be more part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the potential for a Patreon is very real. I want to boost. Uh, numbers on the other social media accounts before I consider that though. And yeah. also having paintings and having a little bit of product there to show as well as to potentially sell. I've got to work on that because I have been digital for so long. I do have prints that I've got that I can, that I have sold in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I need a, a website, a mailing list. So, yeah. Um, so you're, st- you're kind of building, building all of that. Right now, you're yeah, like, and, and I hadn't painted for so long. I'm right. kind of getting back into my stylistic, like who I am, what's my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, just designing stuff, doing comic book stuff for other people. You kind of you don't uh, you kind of lose that right. voice for a little while. Yeah, because yeah. You, someone else's voice in your ear telling you what to do. So you go, okay, I'll, I'll listen. I'll do what you tell me. I I always but, I always tell the story that when I you know for it took me, I don't know how many years to get out of the film business, but um, once I was finally out, I remember sitting down in front of an easel and being like, okay, here I go. I'm going to do my painting or I'm going to do my own artwork. And just had, I just completely drew a blank and freaked out because I was <laughs> so used to having a starting point because everything mm. in the film industry, they never come to you and say, just make whatever you want. It's got to be a monster. It's like, they always say it's got to be a Bigfoot monster or a, sea monster blah blah they give you some starting point it's got to have this this yeah. or this and then it's like that's to me it's you know i was just you know my whole career was that so to finally not have someone telling you giving you a starting point you're like uh <laughs> who, yeah, who am i like you've just broken yourself yeah who but am i as an artist like I said, and, uh, and digital digital things teach you good habits as well as you can develop really bad habits mm-hmm. in digital because there's shortcuts in digital. Right. Um, which you don't get in practical traditional painting. I right. mean, you, you, painting, as everyone knows, you've got to build up layers. You're building it up in layers. You can't separate those layers. Right. Like you do in Photoshop yeah. or you procreate on your iPad. I can't tell you how, many times, layers, how many times I've gone to, uh, when I was doing a lot of digital and I started painting, I would like, want to hit the undo button <laughs> yeah want to yeah, delete delete oh no what or like i do that when i i click in my brain i click save right right <laughs> like well i'm drawing something i'm like all right save that no what am i doing it's a real drawing right. stupid <laughs> but you just get so into that routine the worst thing about digital is that you can actually you can keep working on it right 
you can keep doing I stuff know, that will I continuously know. change and continue. Oh, I can fix that bit. I can fix that bit. Oh, I can change that bit. At some point, you've just got to go, whoa, stop, time out. Yeah, done. yeah. It's almost I've got like, like twenty many... different versions of things yeah. on all of all the systems. It's I like, know. There's... I've got this color. I've got a cool version. I've got a warm version. I've got a work version that's got a little bit of a different gradation. Oh, I've changed a little bit of the tone there. It's ridiculous. Yeah, there's too many Whereas options. Painting is a little bit more immediate. Once you've finished a painting, which you know, hopefully people will want those paintings once I've done them. Right. Um, that's the other thing. Subject-wise, I don't know many people that would put zombie paintings on their walls. You'd be surprised. You'd be I surprised. would be surprised, but I haven't met that many yet. I mean, most I, people that I have friends, friends do, but... I, I've, I had that same attitude when I started painting. I was like, who's going to want to hang yeah. this? Who's going to want to buy it? And that was my whole, like proving the Joseph Campbell follow your bliss theory. That was my idea. I'm doing something so weird and obscure that could never possibly earn enough to make a living. If it really is my true passion and my, my destiny, what I, what I should be doing, it will work out for me. So, you know, that's why that's part of was my thinking in, in creating monster stuff. And it turns out there's a huge audience. There's a huge audience for people who hang zombies on their wall. It's a, it's just a matter of finding them. I mean, I've done tattoo stuff, and I so for most part here, that's the that's the industry you're going to get more people interested right. in what you're doing. But there Especially is a, the tattoo that. tattoo collectors and tattoo artists are also very much into this kind of artwork that we're doing. You know, graffiti artists too. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've I've got uh, you know I've done graffiti as well with spray cans. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done it on walls and stuff legally and illegally mm-hmm. back when I was a younger man, but. Um, <laughs> You know, and and that kind of again, it's another one of those weird synchronicities because, uh, you know, the artist Vaughn Bode, Vaughn yeah. Bodie, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So his son Mark Bodie is huge in that industry with graffiti, and he does tattooing. Oh, really? He's kind of continuing the legacy of his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've recently collaborated with him on a oh, piece cool. that, yeah. So that was again another one of these things that, uh, you know, influence from a from when I was younger and I'd see those underground comics, you know, your Robert Crumbs and, and, and Vaughn Bodie. And then now you're working with the guy, right? You know, he's, he's messaging you going, Oh, I want to do some more work with you. I want to do some more collaborative stuff together. And it's like, Oh, pinch me, man. What the hell's going on? <laughs> um, well, that's you know, meeting Bernie, you know, yeah, meeting you- Bernie Wrightson. And then I did the tribute, uh, gallery, I mean, that's something we're going to get to going to do some shows. I did send some artwork to uh, California for the Bernie Wrights and Tribute show that they did. Um, so, you know, it, it's just weird. Like you meet someone and then suddenly, yeah, that you're invited to do something like that. Like, you know, Bernie, you know, sadly no longer with us, but he was with us when that exhibition came out and he got to see all that stuff. Right. Which you know that was a, that was really cool. I mean, uh, other than that though, I don't, I haven't really hit that audience that I want to hit yet. I haven't got many of my paintings out there. I've, I haven't had any solo shows or any part of any group shows yet. Right. Um, Bain Art Galleries on my radar. I'm mm-hmm. going to be sending some stuff to Bain Art Gallery. Yeah. Uh, by the end of the year or early next year, cool. I want to try and get into the dark art uh, 2020. Right. 
that would be really nice. Yeah, um, you just I mean, once the thing about you're talking about meeting all these heroes and stuff, once you start meeting them, uh, and this I knew this, I mean, everybody knows it, but until you kind of experience it, it really hits you. I experienced this early on because I was working in the film business and I was dealing with actors, like famous actors and actresses and stuff. And um, you realize they're just, they're just like you, you know, they're <laughs> just, they're just people, you know, we, we hold, put them on pedestals, but it's like, they're just, and especially artists, you know, um, you talked, like I interviewed Brahm on the podcast. It was like, yeah. he's this huge hero of mine. It's like, he's just a dude you know, complaining about the same shit I complain about, you know, about being a loner and just creating art and not having a lot of friends and not having much of a social life. And, you know, it's, it's the, we all have the same kind of concerns and, and the, the whole uh, fame thing is really not really real, you know, cause you know, the, you, you, I've met people like really famous people. And it's like, I met Tom Cruise one time and he was just like yeah. a dude. He was just a cool guy, yeah. you know? riding his motorcycle came by the shop it was like it's you know it's it, it's weird it's weird <laughs> it's just a trip it is it is strange i mean I, I don't think i'll ever be i won't ever be that awestruck because i always try to keep in the back of my head that yeah this person has to go to the toilet yeah the way i do <laughs> yeah <laughs> they might not they, they, they might not like broccoli you know like you can't really think just because someone is you know, been in a, in a few movies that they're going to be that much different from you. Right. Even they're, people they're you think are like brilliant artists, geniuses, you know, mm. when it comes down to it, it's like, I don't know. They're just people. And yeah. it's, it's always good to remember that. Cause it, cause when you start, you know, you're starting to meet all these people and it's like, they become your peer group. And then, you know, if, if you're like me for a long time, I felt like, you know, on the outside still. And then you stop and you're like, Hey, I'm on totally on the inside, but it just, you know, we all feel kind of like we're on the outside because everybody feels like they're on the outside of everything. Cause yeah. it's kind of like part of the human condition. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, you know, I, I feel that as well as, a, you know, in a geographic sense, right. But right. I, I did feel for many, many years that I was just outside of the loop. Yeah, definitely. Everything else was going on <laughs> the other side of the world. Yeah. Right. Um, I was never going to be part of it. I was never going to be involved. And if I did, it would that my my participation would be so slight and insignificant that it wouldn't create a ripple. Right. But I think if I mean ultimately, I think if you get to influence just one person, if you want one person comes up and goes, "Man, that drawing you did made me want to go out and do a drawing. Oh, I yeah. want me to get into art," then that's all worth it. It is oh, all yeah. worth it for that. And I and person. I mean, and I've, I've done that with classes of. You know, taught little kids how to do like you know little quick comic books. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's wicked, man. You know, like you see these kids, like oh wow, like you know they call you famous, right? But you're not famous. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're like, oh, you must be a famous artist. You know, no, <laughs> just from down the road, you're just yeah, a normal right. person. So no, I think I, if I've, you just remember that aspect, too, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, helps i've seen your work on instagram and been like oh i gotta start i gotta draw a zombie you know like it's totally inspired <laughs> me in that way so it's like you know you you might hit you might be like uh you know if i just touch one person but you you don't realize you you know you're touching a lot of people with your work oh, already, look, i'm already, sure you know? that some of my designs have turned up on the walking dead um 
Like yeah. I'm adamant that some of those guys working in like Kevin Wesner or someone has obviously got like a copy of my book right. up on the shelf. Oh, you know, the zombie book that that, they pull that's, out and go, oh, check out these zombies. Oh, and that's, that's one thing having worked in effects every, you know, at the beginning of every film project, there's, you know, whoever's art directing the project, a bunch of art books come out and, you mm. know, it's definitely, they take from all kinds of different artists I mean, art directors, when you're working on a production, they've got pictures of buildings and costumes from time periods. It's like, it's very much like you're, you're uh, soaking up you know, just cool images of reality and, and art, fine artists, you know, to the point where there's, a, there's even, you know, plagiarism to a pretty high degree and the artist oh, yeah. doesn't end up getting oh, yeah. credited. But even like, like you know, the, my, my talking about Jacob's Ladder, that's the one that um, has has a real. There's a there's a few shots in Jacob's Ladder that are stolen directly from the photographer Joel Peter Whitkin. Um, yeah, like the shake the shaking yeah. head, the guy with no arms the and legs, head, and, the, and the shaking yeah. head. That is from a Joel. Pe- that's a, lit, a, a an exact interpretation of that in film, and it's amazing. Yeah. But it's also like you know, that's not it's not cool that people don't know that that was him, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that makes, it makes sense that it was influenced by, I mean, if that's how they're going to, that's the angle they take. Right. But if you were to turn around and say, Oh no, 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 I completely came up with that. Right. And, right. Yeah, I'm called, I'm calling bullshit dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling bullshit on that. But that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's the way embrace your influences. Yeah. Um, but you know, don't, uh, don't take their all their hard work and assume that if you can replicate it, that you've done the same amount of hard work. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I like you to know, th- take stuff that's influenced me and um, I don't know, use it as a, as a starting point in a way and think, I always think, you know, because no one's no, like, you know, no one can escape their influences. That's just the way it is. If you're an artist, you're going to be influenced by somebody and it's going to influence your work. So the best thing you can do, I I believe, is um, honor them by taking it some, taking it further, or taking it at a different place, or having enough mm. of yourself in it to where you're just not blatantly ripping it off. You know what I mean? Like like the Minuteman song, cohesion. That's all you yeah. need is cohesion. <laughs> all you right. know what I mean? Like, um, Minuteman. That's all you really need is you know cohesion of yep. of spirit and mind and your talent and your influences and what you love yeah. that's the most important thing a lot of these artists and a lot of my friends who are doing commercial art they're not doing the stuff that they really 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 love right and they feel marginalized by that they feel like oh you know like i've got to do that now right if i, do, if I stop doing that like someone's just going to be like well you've just blown it sonny you're not doing what you should be doing right um I think people need to, yeah, like you said, find their own bliss, uh, you know, and, and keep keep the perspective right. You know, like don't don't get let your ego get ahead of itself. Mm-hmm. Keep that mouthy bastard in check. Um, yeah, and and don't and don't worry about um, trying to impress everyone because that's impossible. Yeah. You're not going to impress everyone. Impress you know? yourself. But like I said, <laughs> yeah, do it for yourself first. If you think it's really good, then guarantee someone else is going right. to think it's good. I think the tool even said that. I said, you know, we make music for ourselves. 
anyone else that gets into it and comes along for the ride, that's awesome. Oh yeah. You I've, know, heard, I've heard whole, that from the whole adage, you know, yeah, I've heard that from a lot of artists and it's because it's true. You know, it's, you really, yeah. you can't, you can't go anywhere cool by trying to follow trends and, and trying to anticipate what people are going to like. Cause that's not, really not what art is about, especially, you know, real art or fine art or whatever you want to call it art. That's kind of created from the heart. Real, real art that's created from the heart is about a genuine self-expression of something deep and real, and then connecting with an audience that sees it and goes, oh my God, I feel that way too. It's not about, mm. you know, what's popular and um, how can I kind of get in on this thing? <laughs> you know, it's not the same thing. It's a thing, but it's not the same thing. You know? Well, that's where you get a lot of those, as you said, a lot of those people, that the, the copycats, the people right. that plagiarize things. You know, They see something on Instagram or Facebook or Reddit or Twitter or wherever they go and they go, well, that's getting a lot of hits. That's right. gotten a lot of likes. I've got to do that. That's, yeah, so, and no, that's, the reason that's getting a lot of hits and a lot of likes is because that person's built up a fan base. Right. And, and they're, they're doing they're, it from the heart they're, probably. And, and they're you doing know. it from their heart and they've done the hard yards. They've mm -hmm. worked their ass off to get good at what they're doing. Right. Um, and you, you, you can't take that away from them. Just, you know, anyone that's just going to copycat, unless they want to say this is an homage. Right. I'm all for homage. I'm all yeah, for yeah. someone going, look, this has influenced me for whatever reason. I have to draw it in this style because mm -hmm. it just has to come out of me in that way. I love that. But don't ever try and pawn it off or tell someone that that's your original style, that that's you, that that's what you're going to be doing from now on in because you're lying to yourself. Right. And you're also, you're also you only end up being sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, and you're cheating yourself in a way too, because one of the, uh, one of the really kind of magical things about artwork is that you, you, um, if you're doing it, I think if you're doing it truly from your heart, it's really an expression of yourself. It's a way of uh, understanding yourself better and learning about yourself. It's like a gift. It's a little added bonus you get from just creating artwork for the fun of it. Is that you're? It's it's a it's a kind of a Rorschach test in a way, uh, a way of getting at your subconscious, and and you're able to understand yourself better. And and that's you know not know thyself is you know maybe the whole point of life. So it's like you're you're robbing yourself of that opportunity to learn know more about yourself when you're mm. when you're not creating your own work i guess is what i'm saying exactly you know? and you're also denying yourself the magic that occurs when you create something right right and it is like magic i mean essentially what are you doing you're pushing around pigments you're pushing around ink or charcoal or lead and yep. you're creating something from nothing. Yeah. It's a blank piece of paper or a blank canvas and you're creating something. Yep. You it's, know, it's something that shouldn't be, um, it should be, sorry, it should be endorsed more. It should be more of a, a right. you know, more like Valued. the way Europe treats their artists, right. you know, like especially you know, coming from Australia where, as I said before, that there is a focus on sports and, that type of thing, which mm -hmm. I've never really been very good at. Right. I was always that skinny little wheezy kid that would be drawing in the corner. So mm -hmm. that's a something I think that that kind of attitude needs to shift if we're going to evolve as uh, a species. Right. The more we endorse 
and and look at and help the artists, the more that that voice will assist the way we develop and grow, the way yeah. we learn. Yeah, and I, I kind of you know, believe... Everyone's going to look at artwork, but people, I mean, again, when we look at uh, expressionistic artwork or something, we don't have the same connection to it as we do with something that is more visceral, something a little bit more figurative. Right. So I think... You know, that, 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 again, is something that needs to – we need to let more people do the artwork and not make it out like it's a uh, it, it's a bad way to live. Right. You know? yeah, oh, my yeah. God, please, please, daughter, don't marry an artist. What? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> marry an artist, you know, because she'll, she'll have an exciting life. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, it won't be boring. You know, she may not be – yeah, she may not be – living in the life of luxury, but man, she'll be living every moment. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it makes more sense that the art would, so I just want that to be more of the endorsement, give more people the chance to do the artwork and right. express themselves in that way. Yeah. And that includes music, yep. you know, acting, writing, whatever, um, dancing, writing, yep. um, whatever it entails, but it's having what, more of a voice. It's what the, you know, on a, on a big, if you want to get big and, you know, crazy here, but it, it really is in a way, um, it's what, it's a big reason the world is so fucked up. It's like, it's, it's mm. so out of balance that, that the other end of the spectrum is preferred, um, uh, business and you know which i have i have an appreciation for work and making money and i do love to work but with my own work my own artwork but it's you know the world obviously is completely out of balance in that way and it's like regard artists are kind of regarded generally as not that important on a on a you know art is considered like an important thing and that's really part a big big part of the problem or maybe a symptom of this bigger problem to where people in general are <clears throat> i always end up going down this road but it's and it's really hard to explain but it's like you know the individual person in this society nowadays is generally most people are dominated by this logical ego side and this practicality and you know utilitarian aspect and but but we are we are we are that but we are also innately creative beings and so it's it's uh values placed generally on the um i don't know you'd call i guess the left brain side of things the the uh practical side of things and it's so therefore, like I'm saying, the the art, the creativity is kind of undervalued in that way as not being an important thing. And, you know, you can see the effects of this attitude everywhere in the world. It's like there's it's out of balance. There's fighting everywhere. Mm. There's, you know, destruction of the environment, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the problems. But I think that that's that's a big part of the problem, really, is that people aren't in touch with, with that part of themselves, you know. Thankfully, we're actually seeing more dark art being produced now, though. Right, it's a like, reflection like of yeah, it, it is. is a complete reflection. It is that that um, you know this is the response. Right, what did they expect? Ex exactly, that we're all going to be painting and, you know, pretty mushrooms right. and, and and 
and flowers. No, we're going to be painting the way that you've treated everyone and that we're painting the situation that you've created. Right. And not only that, it's also, it's like, it's the, it's a reflection and it's a solution in a way too. It's like, it's a reaction and response, but it's also a, um, transmutation of negativity into something positive. So it's, it's, it's so cool because it's like, uh, it's not just, it's not just a reaction. It's a reaction. And it's also something that will hopefully bring us back to being more in balance, you know, with ourselves in some way, you know, I think it's a, it's an inevitability. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I mean, the, the power struggle is real. We can see it now, you know, there's, there's the division is becoming more and more apparent Mm -hmm. right down the middle. Um, and you know, Artists have uh, somewhat of a responsibility to. I agree totally. You know, to, to to communicate these feelings because again, you know, in a in a hundred years or two hundred years or whatever it is, maybe that artwork will still be around and then it'll be part of that history. People right. will see it and I'll go see what these guys were doing at that time. Right. This was their response to right. the climate they were living in. Yeah, yeah. So it becomes like its own little time capsule. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's you know when you're you look at other people's artwork, I mean, especially, yes, yeah, on like Geek or something, you know, he lived in a you know place where there was some political unrest and it yeah. comes through in the art. Oh, he, and he was, com- he, he was commenting on, I, I was so blown away when I heard this in an interview or something where he was, his, his work was um, the whole creepy, gross landscapes and desolate industrial looking biomechanical thing he was saying that a lot of that was um about the environment you know and talk mm. about a fucking uh prediction there you know in the 60s yeah, exactly. he's doing this in the 60s and 70s of course when the yeah that, that's when the environmental movement started i think really but um you know that he was painting from i'm certain he was painting from his heart because you can't fake something like what he was doing and and he's he's uh it's coming to bear now really i mean you're seeing it it's happening you know with climate change and everything in a big way and um it's like that that was you know for him it's that was the appropriate response to the world he was living in you know lucky for us yeah i mean that's yeah and i think you know we're going to see a lot of a lot more people a lot more dark artists emerge over the next you know, 10 years, I think I'm just doing the whole prediction thing. I think it's definitely going oh, to it's, it's become more of a yeah. solidified movement. It's, it's international. That's mm-hmm. the thing that surprises me the most. As, as I was saying before, it's not just localized right. in America. You know, it is everywhere. It There's is. a lot of people. There's, and, and the more people just keep doing what they're doing and, and, and keep enjoying what they're doing as well as, trying to do it better, trying to do it uh, more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid of what people say on the internet. Don't be afraid if you don't only get 10 likes on a picture. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. No. You know, it doesn't matter if you've got 200 or 200,000 people following you. Right. Get it out there. Put put your mark down because you don't, you know, you don't know you might be that voice of a generation. Right. You just yeah. don't know. Yeah. And it's, it's, you, you if, know, if you're, as and a, it may not happen in your lifetime. Yeah. Right. <laughs> your job <laughs> as an, it, as, an as an artist, it's like you're, you're, you're 
job or responsibility is to follow your artistic impulse and trust it. You know, I yeah. think it's like it's and and it's a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways, but it's, you know, I can't imagine doing anything else. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else as hard as the, the road is. It's difficult. Um, I honestly don't think I could do anything else. Yeah. I, 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 ha- yeah. I have tried other jobs. You know, I've been a you know kitchen hand and I've worked mm. in stores and I can't do it. Right. All I want to do when I'm there is I want to be drawing. Right, right. Uh, when I'm there, I'm like, what a waste of time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know. Eight hours every day and I'm just making some money for this I, dude and I spent eight hours doing a drawing. I the last 10 years of my makeup effects career, I felt the same way. I'm like, I felt like, because I've said this before on the podcast, but you know, I got in the business when I was like 18 or 19 and then every job was like, Oh, this is, this is fun. Of course it's great, but it's also, um, work for my portfolio so I can get another job so I can get another job and you're constantly building your portfolio. And then you get to a point where it's like, you're up there and you don't really, you know, I, I didn't even need a portfolio at the end, you know, cause I, I had a reputation. People knew my work was good. And so I could just get hired somewhere, but you know, I was sitting there eight hours a day, especially when I started selling paintings. Cause I was doing, you know, I started doing the art career and I was just like, Oh, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my time. Eight hours a day. I could be painting. I could be making my own thing. And I, you know, making this, uh, whatever, you know, a burn face on someone, which is, you know, cool <laughs> and fun. It's great. But you know, I've done that for so long. And so it was once, especially once I got a taste for it, once I sold a painting, I was like, oh my God, I could see that this is a possibility. And so, um, I don't know. I just encourage. And it's also yours as well. Like it was right, something that you right. were and you know, it, you're working for some other guy off his sculpt right. or his design. Yeah. You know, which, it's like, I'm not really invested, but I'll right. try and do my best. And yeah. And it was, it was, it's like, I, I got to that point to where, and I still feel this now that every painting is adding to my portfolio now, you know, it's, it matters now, everything I create because it's a piece I can use to make prints of. It's part of my legacy. It's part of my um, progress as an artist. It's part of my history and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, now I kind of have a reason again to, to, uh, to keep painting, not, you know, not only because I love it, but it's also, it's, it's, it practically works out for me. But, but I, I, my point, I guess I was saying was, I think that um, I trust, I, I see. I think I think of things being an artist as like a spiritual thing, almost like a, um, uh, it's like a, it's because if you're creating true art from your true truest self, then that becomes like you know however you whatever connotations you put on the word spiritual, that is like it's real. It's spiritual. It will lead you to to your true self, kind of, or your highest self. And so, I just encourage people who are who have that artistic impulse to to follow it because it it as much as it will be a terrible hard road, <laughs> it will also mm. it, it's all it will also it's what you're meant to be doing, and it will and you and if you trust it, it will take care of you as much as it's okay. it'll put you through hell. You know, and you'll be stressed out and you won't be able to pay the bills every, or you might, you'll just barely be able to pay the bills or whatever. It what ultimately it will be there to catch you. It will be there for you that I believe that like on this kind of, you know, cosmic spiritual level, I believe that personally. 
because that's how it's worked for me. You know, it mm-hmm. always delivers for me. As much as I get to a point where, you know, I've got no money in the bank and I've got all these bills due and it's just me and what can I come up with to sell? You know, um, what do I have? Do I have studies laying around? Blah, blah, blah. Can I paint some stuff? Can I do some drawings? It will is is dire. It gets so dire sometimes that I'm like going, did I make the right decision doing this? Because I had a well-paying <laughs> job, you know, that I pretty much, you know, at that point I was like the top of the chain and I could, you know, I was secure, but <clears throat> it always is there. It always comes through right when I need it. It's weird mm-hmm. every time. And this has been, you know, I haven't worked since like in effects steadily since like 2000 and I don't know, whenever the land of the lost remake came out, that was the last movie I worked on at a shop. Wow. So that was 2010, something like that. Yeah. 2000. So, yeah. so, you know, we're talking nine, 10 years that I haven't had a secure job. And in ten, nine or 10 years, every time I needed the money, I was able to do it with my artwork, you know, because yeah. I was, I was putting the work in, but I was also trusting the artistic impulse, the spiritual thing. I was trusting it. You know, I know it's as crazy as, as it gets. You just got to go, you know what? I trust you. It's almost like, you know, I know people hate the word God, but it's almost like, you know, it's God in a way. And it's like, if you trust this God, which is the art God or whatever you want to call it, your truest self, it will provide for you. It's basically what all the religious teachings say as well. It's like a metaphor for if you trust reality, reality is not going to let you down. You know, this existence we have, if you have this attitude of trust and, um, and willingness to go along with it and play the game of life in this reality, you'll be taken care of. Basically. It's like when you, when you start, I think when you resist that impulse is when you get into trouble, when you, when you start doing things that is not from your heart, but it's because you're being told what you should do by society, by people, by whatever, yeah. what it's expected of you. You know, if you're, if that's, if what's expected of you is also your thing, that's great. But if it's not, you know, it's, it's going to create disharmony in your reality. You know, that's what I believe anyway. I don't know. <laughs> be true. Be true to yourself. Yeah. It's simple. It's You'll like the fail. oldest. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the oldest thing in the book. It's so simple. Simplicity but it's, is the key to truth. Yes. I mean, it's it. And and I think, you know, especially with artists, especially with creative people, they do spend a lot of time uh, pontificating and trying to rationalize why they do what they do. Right, right. And I think ultimately, you know, when, when it all boils down to it, you're doing what you do because that is what you were designed to that, do. That's who you are. That's what you are. You know, like, you and know? if you don't do it, if you, you know, want to work for the man, um. And that you wonder why you're depressed or right. you wonder why you're stressed out. You know, it's like, I think if you're depressed or stressed out, but you're still doing what you want to do, it's, it's a, a diff- different type yeah, of stress. It's totally a different it's kind a different of stress. Type of, it's more frustration. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, why can't this be quicker? Yeah. Pre- prepare, <laughs> for, prepare, for, prepare for frustration if you want to be an artist yeah. for sure. But for know, sure. know that it, that it won't let you down and it'll be there for you and it will always come through. That's, that's my message. That's my message. And to that all the it's young a type artists. of magic. It is it a type is. of magic. It really be a magician, yeah. um, you know, uh, and, and let, let your hand be that extension of your soul. Right. You know, and not many people get that opportunity. I mean, most people don't, 
and I think artists see the world differently. You know, when I'm when I'm out in the street looking around, I'm how oh, that pole's got a certain color, or right. look at the way the light hits that. You know, everyone else just sees a pole. Right, right. You know, I'm I'm seeing the texture. I'm yeah. seeing the light. Yeah. Seeing the how, how the would I draw that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, well, I need yeah, to paint yeah. something like that. You know, oh, now I can go here and I've got to go look at this thing because right. this thing will give me a pretty good indication of what I need. Or, you know, I can source it on the internet or something. You know what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. And not many people get that uh, yeah. as a as attribute. Um, I, I, you know, and I, I will And it's say, sad. It's, that is sad. I will say, I, I, let me say also that um, it, it isn't for everybody. Everybody's not like this. It's like, it, it's we it's kind of like like i said it's like a blessing and it's also a curse and it's like this is who we are we can't change it it's like being gay or something it's like this is who mm-hmm. you are you can't change it so embrace it and trust it and you know it's it's good that it that every you know i mean i think that every everybody every brain is innately creative at some point because we all dream and so creativity can take a lot of different you can be a super creative business person creating your business i mean it's 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 you know it's more about creativity i think but as artists um visual artists especially uh although this goes for whatever it's important that um you know there are people that don't have this this impulse and this urge to create the work because we need people to love the work and support the work and to buy the work as well they're part of this puzzle Mm -hmm. You know, and we, you know, we're, we're creating work and that's uh, enriching their lives and they're, you know, spending on our, our work and help and allowing us to create. So it's like, you know, people that don't, that, you know, you hear it all the time. I can't even draw a stick figure. It's like, that's totally cool. Why do you want to draw a stick figure? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what my friend says. That's what my friend Mitch always says. He's like, why would you want, why would you want it? But anyway, uh, point being is that, um, I don't, I, I, I some people are, they're true to themselves and they're fucking art collectors, you know, cause that's who but, they are. And everyone doodles. Everyone does. Doodle. It's true. It's true. But, but not so every- everyone's got that little thing. Inside oh yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. In but, their mind, if you're on a phone, you're doing something else, your hands just automatically doing the little swirl for sure. That's, but, that's, but, but that's not, art. yeah, yeah, absolutely. We learn how to make those swirls and, into something else. And I think that, you know, um, it's, it's a great thing to teach all people art and that to be an outlet that's not necessarily a professional outlet you know it's just a creative outlet which is cool and it's not about being the best or being great it's about just expressing yourself which is cool but it's just i guess my point is that um you know everybody's got their their role to play and and people that don't have this crazy impulse and obsession like we do to create artwork they've got a you know crazy impulse and obsession to buy art and collect art and that's like you know that's the symbiotic relationship we have with with people so it's like you know my you know what i'm you know what i'm saying yeah exactly yeah i I totally agree so it's not like i'm Um, saying everybody in the world needs to be a professional drop everything and be an artist it's more like everybody needs to do what everyone's do what's in their heart you know what i mean yeah or try to everyone embraces their creative impulses Mm -hmm. whether or not that's to collect art or to look at art right. or create art, then they should. That should be a valid thing to undertake. It shouldn't have a stigma attached right. um, that artists normally get. Just doesn't matter how 
popular you get or famous you get or how much money someone spends on your art, there's always going to be a stigma attached with, you know, that, that troubled artist, you know, right. the, yeah. that spend all the time alone in his dark room um, or her dark room doing their crazy sketches. And it's not, it's, 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 it's more soul searching. It's yeah. more cathartic. Most people first think it's more, uh, you're getting in tune with the universe. You're getting in tune with yourself. Yeah. You're also able to convey those feelings and those emotions to someone who doesn't even know you mm-hmm. and will never meet you right. through your artwork. That's what I mean. It's like magic. It is yeah. like a form of magic. You know, it's, it's like a special mirror. You're yep. getting to see inside someone, inside their brain, what they think and how they represent it with their hands or digitally or whatever it is. Yeah. It's kind of incredible. And I, I just, I want that to continue and get even more so. Absolutely. You know, I think art programs should be just as important as a sports program. Right. Um, you know, that's that balance that you talk about. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's the balance that's, it's out of whack. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people would rather be an Instagram model. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever that means. I don't really know what that means, but, um, I yeah, I mean, if, if that's creative as well, yeah, I'm sure. You I know, there, really there, I'm sure there's a creative way of doing that, and I'm sure there's people that that do it creatively and do an amazing job with it. And there's people that want to see that, and that's all good. But you know, of course, I'm always advocating for the artists, and specifically the dark artists, because you know, it's mm. we we feel uh, we've been underrepresented and and not taken seriously. Maybe so. I'm always going to kind of orient true. orient things towards that. You know, just because that's that's the cause I've decided to to pick up because it's, I think it's important. So I don't know. It's I, I agree though. It is. I it, think you've, you've definitely done that, and I'll go out of the, out of my way and say you've done an exceptional job in creating a community of artists and like minded people. Um, I, for one, are truly appreciative of the chat. Thank you very much for oh, that. Thank you. Because, um, like I said, from Having that dark art society cooperative, uh, you know, it's something that I really needed to confirm and solidify the fact that I was doing the right thing. Right. I wasn't just wasting my time drawing my stupid zombies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, you see cool. that, you see that, that, that there is a market for it. There is an audience out there. Um, it may not be in your local neighborhood, but there is definitely someone out there that's going to get into what you want to do. And I, I really do. I can't thank you enough for, for all of the tireless effort that you put into it, your podcast, um, you know, all the support you've given everyone as well. Oh, and Mike Carell as well. I got yep. a shout out to Mike. Definitely. Cause I still follow him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still following his adventures across America. Yep. It's the coolest thing. Yeah. I'm a bit jealous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I like camping, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's camping for life. Yeah, you know, right. It's, it's, it's awesome, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can't thank you and the entire community enough for all the support that they've given us, well, especially over the last couple of months. Like, like I said, my my lists of people that I've, I've, I've been able to contact with and, and people that are now liking on my stuff is just growing exponentially. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And, and I, I appreciate that and I, I value that a hell of a lot more than uh, numbers on the top of a page. Right, um, right. So if I get 100 people that are actually dedicated 
fans who will interact with you, comment, like, send you messages, want to do art trades. Right. And that's, that's the thing that I love. I love that the most. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah it's everything bit- else is, just, yeah, it's, it's just, it's not as important to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's the, that's, that's the right attitude to have really. It doesn't matter. Numbers don't matter. It, the engagement it matters. People that uh, care is what matters. And yeah. Um, and I mean, eventually Instagram won't exist. Right. I assume, right. you know, yeah. that'll be a new platform yep. um, that people will be on and, and then it'll evolve again. It's constantly changing. Everything's evolving. The only thing that we're going to get more of is like I said, more people, more people involved in it right a more unification of the community mm-hmm. um, and it's people like you that maintain that focus i think because people do see what you do and the amount of work you put into it and they think well you know i can do that yeah that's i love Jeez, to hear that can do it. i can do it it yeah. doesn't sound like a good endorsement but you know i've always <laughs> felt that way i've always felt like you know what if i can do it you can do it i've always felt that yeah. way and that's you know that's comes comes from my punk rock upbringing i believe that was always you know the bands yeah. i like that's and mike uh, mike what that's dark the, art is punk yeah. it is punk dude it's mocking the trend that's it's what society mike watt says at the end of every show he plays start your own band <laughs> you know that's the whole mm. point it's like you can do this too you know come yeah. along for the ride it's awesome so you know, yeah well learn I, a kazoo yeah <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that. It's nice nice to hear. And and the same goes for you though and everybody who's part of the community. It's like we're all doing this thing. We're all building this thing together. So it's 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 really cool. Uh you know, cuz you can start something and not get a response from it. You know, I've done this with yeah. shows. I've tried to curate shows that didn't just didn't really happen. And so, you know, uh without the the uh response from the the community it would be nothing. It would just be me going, Hey, dark art's great. You know, but it's like, yeah. you have to, you know, everybody's contributing and that's, what's making it great really. I think so. Uh, I, I appreciate it, but it's also, it's, it's, it's all of us together doing this thing. So it's pretty awesome and pretty exciting. So, um, we're at like two hours. You are our, you are our poster boy though. That's yeah. You check can be the poster boy. Yeah. We can all yeah hide behind you and so, uh, somebody had to do it. That's that's the only reason I'm doing it. Someone had to do it. So it's like <laughs> no, good man. It's a dirty job. I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Mike bailed on you though. <laughs> yeah, fucking Mike. Mike didn't want no. it. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, thanks. Have a you lot, watched Mike. Nail yet? You bastard. <laughs> I bet he hasn't. <laughs> he hasn't. I bet he hasn't. No. He'll probably oh, tell you some bullshit story. <laughs> I know internet connection or something. Can't watch it. Right. Um, my DVD players on the fritz. <laughs> no, I, I, but, but we all know that, you know, like I said, I would not have started this podcast without Mike. So I owe him a huge debt of right. gratitude for sure. Um, I do he, miss it. Yeah. Miss him sometimes. Yeah, I do too. We'll get it back on the show again. We, he's been on once, but um, yeah, he needs to come back. Be again. Nice to catch up. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to wrap this up cause we're up to almost two hours here. So, uh, thanks. No yeah. Thank you for coming on. It was really a fun conversation. I totally enjoyed that. And I think the audience will enjoy it. So, um, yeah, Hopefully. they will. Hopefully I didn't blather on too long. No, it was <laughs> awesome. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I will tell everybody that if you want to, uh, be part of this amazing community and support, uh, in some way you can join the dark art society, Patreon, which allows you, um, entrance into our little facebook group the dark art society 
cooperative, which Chris was just talking about how amazing it was. And it really is amazing. And you can do that for just I pay three dollars. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for supporting it. <laughs> you can join for uh, $3 yourself or as little as a dollar a month and be part of this amazing community. Uh, if you just can't afford even a dollar a month, you can share the podcast. You can like it. I've seen so so many new people turned on to this podcast just because somebody shared it and gave us a good review. So anything you can do is, is great. Um, and so that, that will help this podcast. It will help all of us. By contributing, everyone doing what they can will help all of us. And this is what it's all about. So anyway, thank you all for listening out in the world. And thank you, Chris, for coming on. And I guess, yeah, we will, we will talk to you all next week. So let's say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, world. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.